This episode is brought to you by the Step Brewers Merch Store. We have the freshest craft beer podcast tees, hoodies and socks in the game. Everything from a Juice Wolf tea through to an awful Papa Sweden tea. We have it all. Head on over to teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash Step Brewers to check out the range and help support your favourite most average beer podcast today. Episode 19 of the Step Brewers podcast, hot dang, we're nearly at 20. Um, I don't even know what to say, nearly at 20 episodes. It's I feel like uh, this has taken my entire life to get here. It's beautiful. I didn't think we'd hit 20. I thought we'd be quite, you know, we've given up, but we haven't. We're still here. This is an episode. People still listen, it's weird. Yeah, and more of you are listening. This is an episode that we've talked about for a long time about doing and have wanted to do it for a long time. We've finally organised it. This episode is the role of brewing in whiskey production or whiskey overall. Um, So for that episode, we have a very special guest who we're going to partially introduce right now. We have uh, Craig Johnson from Whiskey Adventures. Yes. Thank you very much. So Craig's joining us. It's like that one Um, heckler. In the back. Yeah. yeah. So Craig's joining us along with the Juice Wolf himself, yep. the Sultan of the Howl, oh. Ali Davis. How does it get worse every episode? It's amazing. I'm thank just you. spitballing this. But thank you. It's, it's amazing. How do you awesome. do it? The Angry Master himself. You've all seen the Sour Beer episode now. He has that face that you just know is going to judge you for not giving him garlic bread. Ian Merrigan. This is rude. Hello. <laughs> Um, so we're going to kick off straight up with some of the best segment ever with the best jingle. It's and true. then we're going to hit up Craig and learn a little bit more about him, which some listeners might already know, or they might have had a hint of it when they were told at Lark Bar last night, because I know a lot of them were very excited. So let's hit up that jingle. That's your keeper. Sip, skip. Okay, I've got four beers that are new, been around a little bit, but let's hit them. Sauce Brewing, Follow Your Passion, Passion Fruit Berliner Weiss. How do you, you, say, you said it right this yeah, time. Yeah, I always used to say Weiss when I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. I'm learning, I'm growing. Congrats. Thank you. Um, I've had this one. Oh. Mm. I, I liked it. I just bought one though, so I'm a sip on this one. I'm not going to say anything about it. Mm. I think it's said enough. Uh, I'm a sip as well. I always like trying to call a little sour. Fruity, it's fun. I like to recommend it to my mates who haven't tried beer before. But yeah, I'm a sip. Um, yeah, for this one, I think I'm a sip as well. Um, it's not just because I'm Scottish and we don't know what fruit is. <laughs> um, I love Berliners, I love sour beers, uh, but I just think the kind of fruit craze just now uh, makes me want to try, but doesn't always make me want to buy more than one. Yeah, yeah, that's. It's fair. also getting to that point in the year now where it's getting a bit colder, and yeah. you're, you're losing that drive for a for a sour for a summer. So it's yeah. always a bit tricky. So mm, clamped. 
Yeah, I'm going to sip this just out of respect from Sauce. Um, if it was someone else, I probably would have skipped it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But we've talked about, especially on that episode, they're just putting out consistently, amazingly, con- you know, great beers. So, yeah, I think sips all around. Sips all around. Yeah, cool. Um, something we don't really get down here, but I'd love to see it. Black hops, mid-range, mid-strength beer. Is it new? It must be. Brand new. Brand new. Mids are coming out. Yeah, I'm skipping it. Doesn't excite me. Black hops, like, got a couple of solid beers, but again, yeah, doesn't really excite me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it if I see it, but I'm not gonna seek it out. They just launched in Victoria like a few weeks ago, yeah. Um, so that's awesome for them. We'll probably see more of it. Well, if it's coming to Victoria, it means it might be coming down here eventually, which will be. Yeah, nice. I think they had their launch at. I don't know. They had their launch somewhere important, like AO House or something. It'll be up soon. It'll pop up in Black Arts. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna taste it probably. So I'm a. Tentative sip. Oh, I'm a sip as well, only because A, I've heard great things about the brewery, and B, I've never had anything from them, so if I could get my hands on any Black Hop stuff, I will. Yeah, cool. That's fair. A curiosity sip, I think. Yeah, I think I'll go sip as well. I mean, I've heard you guys talk a lot about Black Hop, so it does sound pretty exciting. Um, Mid-range, mid-strength. I love the idea of it. There's a lot of them about just now, um, but yeah, couldn't say straight up whether to buy a lot of it. Yeah, mids are coming into their own, but like if it was the middle of summer, maybe, and you're going to a barbecue, perhaps, but funny time of the year to release this one. Yeah. Um, Little Bang Brewery. Brewing. Hmm. I've never heard of them before. There Little Bang? Little Bang. No, I've never heard of them. Mango Sour New England IPA. Skip. Why? Hard skip, wow. I just I don't, don't like the fact that they called it a... S. Sniper. <laughs> Look at the can. Sour Sniper. Sniper. Oh, okay. So it's a br- it's a labelling thing for you. Yeah, and I just think mango is being done really poorly in Australia right now, so yeah. I'm skipping that. That's reasonable. That's a good At least, point. Um, um, Coke and Spirit is sour. Nipper wasn't. Oh, that was fruited with. Um, oh, I'm thinking of the editor now. Don't think that was heavily fruited. Their sour neighbor was just a sour neighbor. Yeah. It, it was good. Cool. Can, um, you, can you guys give me a, just a quick overview at uh, New England IPA? What, what's the difference between that and another IPA? So it's a juicy, low low bitterness style, um, big on sweetness, often heavily fruited. Right? Very late hop additions, as in like in the ferment, so it's just all hop. Right. Flat flavor. And all, all the hype version of it have a really high finishing gravities, um, so they're not trying Dro- to get dryness. They're right. trying to. Um, and the yeast strain they're using, uh, Conan, Conan yeast typically, or like London Fog, is like super pillowy, um, stays in suspension, um, right. apricot stone fruit. Okay, yeah, I, I just, because I see Mango Sour, uh, New England IPA all together, and it just seems like a lot going on. Um, yeah. I like to try everything once, so I'm going to say sip, um, but yeah, let's, let's There's a lot going on. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a skip. Like, I'm, I'm kind of done with the juice bombs now. How done dare with you? The heavy done with the juice bombs. I'm, I'm done with them. Have I'm, some respect for I need me. some resin in my life. I just think they could have brewed this same beer. And if it's great, and I taste it and it's great, I will apologise profusely. But I feel like you could have just done a Nipa, which the style already lends itself to mango so heavily through Citra. Yes. You could have just done that and just kept it at that. And it's like you had to add sourness and then you had to add fruit. It's just too much for me. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm cellaring. No, I'm just joking. I'm going to sip it because yeah, I can't help myself. And 
sort of a bit of a take on a style that you know a little yeah, bit sour a little bit of okay. yeah so I feel okay. like it'd be good so I'm gonna sip don't know um, mango yeah I'm a bit on the board with I haven't had much good mango beer you know at all really recently so that would be interesting Mm. Like off the top of my head, I mango and beer. Oh, you weren't huge on the sauce, were you? you no, we no really it was enjoy- too I enjoyed much. the sauce. It was yeah. too sauce brewing mango napa was too much for me. It, it was, was a huge too... OBV. I think it was just a pint can, smaller volume, fine. Yeah, it was fine on a small dose. Yeah, so there you go. Cool. Um, and one more from Sailor's Grave, the Gorse. Is that correct as well? Gorse. Gorse, yes. With crystal apple, cucumber, and prickly pear. Sounds like a lot. Um, I am a huge skip. I hate cucumber. Do you really? Really? Do you hate it as much as banana? It's no, it's just they say, oh man, it just tastes like water. I'm like, no, it doesn't. It's no cucumber so, from no, I'm not friends. I'm gonna jump in and I'm gonna skip as well. First thing I need to point out though is there was no comma between crystal and apple. Yeah, uh, it was a crystal apple, not crystal apple. I think it's because that it would sound quite addictive. Crystal um, apple, yeah. <laughs> but, um, there's crystals on the can. I'm, I'm with Ali. I, I hate cucumber. Um, there's, yes. there's a weird statistic out there, um, and it was Bill Lumsden who makes Glenmorangie that told me this, that 25% of the world's population can smell cucumber, and the rest of the population are the Shit, people who no like it. Way. There's Is a that, real aroma that I just can't get Yeah, over. like, yeah, yeah, 100%. That's like one of those predispositions. Uh, predisp- like coriander? Like coriander, yeah. Yeah, but with, thing, with cucumber, it's an actual aroma that only... Yeah, that's probably 25% of people can I avoid smell. it at all costs I think with I, drinks and stuff. I need to go back into sensory drink. Like, <laughs> pick, pickle it and I'm fine, but yeah. actual yeah. cucumber, it's just, it, it's just such an overpowering aroma. And so many people look at me as if I'm, you know, talking rubbish, but... I'm so glad I have what, a friend um, on the show <laughs> that that's gets me. <laughs> yeah. That's what Sandy from Hopco said, actually, when he did the sensory panel with us. It was like us, uh, Spotted Dog, Winston Brewing... Uh, HBC and Shambles, I think maybe they did the um, the sensory panel where they give you off flavors in beer, and we had it in Cascade Lager. Mm. Um, and he was talking about like genetic predispositions to really like feeling and smelling or tasting something. And yeah. some beers, people would be like, "I can barely taste it," and other people in the room were like, "Oh my god, how can you even put that near yeah. your lips?" Like, sulfur is another one. Real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. right. Yeah, cucumber in like any gin or anything I just can't or in your tap water it's just well. awful I just, just uh, with gin like I know it's like cool to put it with your Hendrix but I just don't see the point yeah it 100% doesn't, doesn't do much for me I'm not hating it but cool where are you at on Sailor's Grave then uh, look no offence to Sailor's Grave but I just I'm skipping because I just I don't know I think I've had maybe had one good beer from them and oh. <laughs> yeah same um, I'm skipping just because of the history yeah, yeah and I, like, I, I was like gonna trying to do too much I was going to touch on that I haven't had anything that's blown my mind from them yeah um, I think I had one that I was like oh yeah that's kind of a cool idea that I'll never buy again and that's fine it's good to have creative people in the industry yeah um, but sometimes it's just like it's a bit tiring to be yeah honest. so for me it seems like they're going for a, like a kind of gin cocktail kind of vibe yeah. with uh, Gosa and there's a few gin Gosas going around as well now too um, prickly pear is delicious no don't doubt that I doubt them. Mm. Fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. Harsh but fair. Um, I think that's all we've got. That is all we have. Which is cool. Oh, and by the way, we're live in a brew pub 
So if you're hearing lots of bangs and people chatting and a bit of music in the background... Yeah, first live episode. Uh, we apologise, but it's also great because there's beer all around us and it's good. So yeah. sorry about that, but enjoy. This is a very <laughs> sexy space that you'll see on Instagram and uh, we might do some future stuff here if the person who owns it will let us, which we'll introduce later. Oh, cool. <laughs> Craig here it's lovely to have Craig here and I don't know much about Craig but I used to Craig have my own little whiskey reviewing thing myself when I was 18 years old I've I, seen it they were I, very good I'll show you later I reviewed two whiskeys and I had no idea what I was talking about and I pretended and I just like copied text from like other reviewers online and pretended I knew what I was talking and about. And then photoshopped yourself. Um, and then I pho- yeah, photoshopped it and put it on Facebook, thought I was the best. So I used to like whiskey, but like, I still do yeah, like whiskey. The dark side of gin. Uh, yeah, I've got, no, I like gin. Mm. No, I like all alcohol, to be yeah. honest. So, <laughs> and I was covered in flack for that before. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm really keen to learn more about you and learn about what you're doing and maybe get back into some whiskey, so it'd be really cool. So tell us about yourself. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, have you still got the velvet jacket from that review photograph? <laughs> or was it actually your head on unit? I may have photoshopped it. <laughs> <laughs> may have. We should put that. Okay, will you put that yeah, up? Yeah, I'll, I'll find it somewhere. The monkey shoulder review. Yeah, it's it's great. I yeah. mean, the, the one thing I'll point out, and I guess there's, a, there's a, an element of this for beer as well, but um, with whiskey there's only two types of whiskey you really need to know you need to know the, the stuff that you like and the stuff you haven't tried yet Every, yeah. everything else is just by the by you can forget all those you know all those ones you didn't particularly like um it is all subjective it's all down to who you're drinking with what you're drinking you know um i very rarely put opinions i, I will write taste in notes but uh, it, it is it is do you like it yes if the answer is i'm not very sure have you tried adding something to it yeah because i remember at whiskey adventures the first one i went to we were drinking ridiculous whiskey from like, what, 50, what was it, Queen's Jubilee? So how old was yeah, it? Yeah, so we had a 1952 and a 1956 distilled whiskey. Um, yeah, yeah it, was, it was ludicrous. <laughs> and I think the, the funny thing about that is we, I say we, I often stumble across these things and just take the opportunity and buy them when, when they come up. And mm. I managed to find those and I thought, you know what, let's get a bunch of people together. Uh, in a room and, and, and taste them but I also have um, my theory of Freddie Mercury and it's quite simply this um, everything tastes better if everyone in the room is dressed like Freddie Mercury it worked <laughs> and it really worked so yeah, yeah. we got we got so had, a, had a bit of a <laughs> had a bit of a, a real my venue guys my venue. I called that this was going to happen people were going to open it the happened door. earlier than I thought yeah, yeah. No, it's amazing we pulled, we pulled the cork pulled the cork off the whiskey and everyone followed their noses I think yeah that's um, right yeah, so we basically uh, had this kind of crazy idea where we'd have a royal whiskey taste and everyone had royal connections, including, you know, stuff that was distilled when the Queen was, was coronated. Yeah. And it's just crazy. Yeah, and everyone came dressed as something regal, which for most people meant Freddie Mercury or yeah. something to do with uh, Queen the Band. Mm. And honestly, those those drams were, were... It was like drinking liquid heaven because yeah well but i thought that i thought the best thing was and it came back to like what you said before about you know there's only the whiskies you like or don't like and the whiskies you haven't tried that some of those i remember me and uh, angus were having them and we we're like there was one where we we're like oh we're not really into that like it's a 50 60 year old whiskey it's not really our thing and you're like yeah that's totally fine like, that's cool 
Yeah, you don't like it, you might like. Well, that's the, next the thing. One. I've always been perceived to go. Oh, this is such an old whiskey. It's great. You know, you, I feel like I'm forced you to, like, to it. like it. Yeah, and that's what I didn't like about whiskey when I was drinking it quite consistently. I'm like, oh, you've got to enjoy. It. You'll love this. And then if you don't like it, you've got to sort of pretend and go. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's great. You know, I think as, as human beings, we've all made expensive mistakes, right? And it's that thing where oh, if you spend a tell bunch, me about Clover Hill. Tell right. me about Clover Hill ones. <laughs> yeah, Spend but, a bunch of money on an expensive whiskey and you go back and you're tasting it and you're going, this isn't really my bag right now. It's just not fitting. But, you know, your your spouse or, you know, whoever, whoever it is that's judging you at that point mm-hmm. says, uh, how much was it? And you go, oh, I was, you know, $300 a bottle. And I tell you what, it's amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, well, that's the thing. Like, I have done that. Um, yeah, it's crazy to think that um, but the value from these things is, isn't necessarily attached to the liquid in the bottle it's attached to the circumstance like the mm. drinking stuff that was you know the, the, the 1956 was bottled for Charles and Diana's wedding in 1981 so we weren't just evaluating that as a whiskey it was a it was getting to taste something that was a time capsule it's from a moment in time uh, yeah. Yeah. bottled for a moment in time and distilled you know um, at a time when the whiskey industry was really different um, and, and just being able to share that with people, even if it's not to their taste, um, kind of gives you a nice fuzzy feeling because they are mm. getting to try that and they're privileged yeah. enough to try that. But it also shows you that, you know, dropping two or three thousand dollars on a bottle of whiskey isn't always going to pay off in terms of what you actually like. But it can be the same thing to like bring it down to the home for people. Um, it can be the same as just any old Joe just grabbing a bottle of whiskey. Like, it's a special occasion with whiskey. It's something we op- only open on our birthday or Christmas day. Mm. And we have that set once a year. And it's still just like, mm, that's that's my year's worth now. And yeah. You place yeah. far more value on that. Even if it was a $100 bottle, 300 1000 whatever it is, having it on that occasion could be every five years, ten years, whatever it may be, an anniversary. Um, that, was, that was like, I bought a bottle of... Um, Glen Morangi. it's the one in the box it's like 21 extremely rare or something 18 18, yeah. 18 extremely rare I bought that when I was like still a student and dating my now wife and I remember buying it and she was like you paid how much for a whiskey because it was like at uni and I was like yeah yeah it's for the birth of my first son like it's special and I got like duty free or something because I am a cheapskate um, <laughs> and I put it aside and I never opened it because I would I had said to her it's for the birth of my first son like jokingly and then 10 years later don't be shit if you well, had daughters so, <laughs> so I <laughs> no offence again but I did get in a lot of trouble for that when she's like you mean the first child? And I was like, no, no, my first son. Um, and that was a that was a bone of contention in the family for years. And then last last year, pretty much exactly last year to a few days, my wife says to me, "Oh, you're gonna open that bottle?" And I was like, "What are you talking about?" And she's like, "That special bottle you bought for your son. He's gonna be born in a week. Are you gonna open it?" And I was like, "Holy shit! I've forgotten completely about it." And I mean, since then I'd bought like some ridiculous whiskeys mm. and I had tasted a few more and I think I knew a little bit more. And it wasn't my most expensive whiskey any, it anymore. That? But tell you what, when I got back oh. from the hospital, fuck, it tasted good. Yeah, mm. not like, your most expensive in terms of value, but uh, in terms of money, but in terms of emotion, it's oh, pretty special. I, I've shared it with, I think I've shared one of you, Ian. Sure. Oh no, we were going to. Yeah. And then we go. No, no sorry, sorry. <laughs> we were going to and then you had to leave, Bell had to leave. Because I said, let's get out the Glamourangi. But I've shared it with like one other person who was a girl I used to live with. Um, me and my dad. Hey, I need to call my wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my dad and that's it. And like to me, like that, 
I'm going to keep that for ages, and that's going to be special for a very long time because it's a, like a time and place. Well, like that's that. it. Um, it and even we've, we've talked about beers before where we've had just a moment in time beer. We can even come back to it and be honest with ourselves and go, is this the best beer in the world? Fuck no. Mm. But it marks a special time for us together as a group. Big Raspy. What, yeah, yeah, 100%. It's, it's I was going to touch on that, yeah. Big Raspy, even the uh, double raspberry Gersa. Um there are plenty of beers out there and whiskies alike, wines, spirits, cheeses, whatever. The mark moments in time that may not be the most incredible representation of their, pro- their product, Origin Terroir, or the rest, but still mark a moment in time and it still have a very special place to us. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, so, all that wrapped up, let's... Um, let's pour a drum. Yeah, let's pour one. Um, while you're doing this, um, maybe tell us a bit about whiskey adventures before we move on to what we're drinking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, just in the in the vein of, of all that stuff that we just talked about, um, Whiskey Adventures is essentially um, trying to bring that to life, I suppose. Um, the entire philosophy of Whiskey Adventures is pulling together amazing people, amazing whiskey in unusual environments and occasionally costume. <laughs> the um, costume part is the thing that got me interest, interested originally. Yeah, look, the costume part is very much something that developed uh, organically from the from the crowd of, of people that we got together. So it started as a flat party in... Uh, he just burnt me. He's good on the podcast. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, the little one's good. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell that Craig fits in already because he's already started underpouring me. Or not pouring at all. Like, yeah, this, this, is, yeah. this is common knowledge. Oh, thank you, sir. There you go. It's very kind of you. Um, yeah, so, like, Whiskey Adventures, 2014 it started as a house party, and the theory, I oh, we're going to go, yeah, the theory with, um, with the whole sort of concept was can I, basically, I saw a bunch of whiskeys in a local Hobart shop that I couldn't afford, and I was like, can I crowdsource these whiskeys? Can I get 30 people to give me 30 bucks each to allow us to buy a flight of really cool whiskies. So when when was that? Because that was a while ago. That was 2014. Oof. So it was it was a crowdsourcing idea. Um, but like in person, not on your phone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I'll tell you what, to get 30 people to give me 30 bucks is more difficult than it sounds. Mm. Uh, so we did the first one, it sold out, um, everyone was really happy, we drank uh, Tamdu 25 and a bunch of other really interesting whiskies. Um, the next one we ramped it up a bit, we got some local breweries on, on side, so Moo Brew and Willie Smith um, sponsored basically a beer or a cider for everyone. We opened oh, wow. a Kalila 30 and, and, and had a barbecue, so we made it a more Australian affair. Lovely. Um, but again, it was still a tough sell, so then I was like, you know what? let's go big let's put the price up a bit and let's start cracking thousand dollar bottles mm. so we had a 1977 Ardbeg which is a whiskey you, you go pay a lot more than a thousand dollars for five years later mm. and we drank that with a bunch of others we got um, a local local um, uh, cocktail maker Little Niall Marici uh, oh, came in we love Niall yeah, friend, yeah, yeah. Of, friend of the show friend, friend of, of the show, show. Classic. Uh, he made a, a, an amazing amazing monkey shoulder punch for everyone Mm. Uh, one of my favourites you know? <laughs> yeah. um, we just, we've always tried to tack on something else to the experience so that was number three um, number four we did um, we went and made a beer with uh, Chris at the Winston awesome. uh, so we did a chilli chipotle stout for Cinco de Mayo 
This I, is the one where I first noticed it. So I remember a few friends of mine had posted that they were at this fucking crazy thing yeah. where they went between bars and they drank ridiculous whiskey and they all dressed up and I saw this photo at Winston Brewing Co. I think everyone was dressed up and I was like, what the hell is this? I want to go to it. Yeah, we, we paid for a face painter to come in and uh, although it was a wrong Mexican holiday, we got the whole Day of the Dead. Every, every single person had a different face paint. Three or four people showed up and said, I'm not going to face paint it. And I said, you tell that to a room of you know 26 people who have their face painted and tell us mm. who feels the most left out. So everyone got face painted. We opened a 1965 playing Livet back then so it was our first sort of 50 year old whiskey and um, and then since then we've just it's just got bigger and crazier so we've had a Freddie Mercury party we did pirate um, a pirate boat we did smoking attire so it was all peated whiskey I brought back from Isla oh yeah and we just want to make um, exceptional whiskey expensive whiskey um, unusual whiskey accessible with its story for, a, for a, a drinking price so you can come along and try it and say you know what I really enjoyed that um, that was on the cheaper end I'm going to go along to the local shop and buy it or you know what I tried a thousand dollar whiskey today I enjoyed it you know I'll never get to try that again so with me coming back to Taz this year um, we're stepping it up so we'll still do our monthly big crazy what we call unicorn tastings where we open unicorn bottles um, we're also doing at least monthly educational uh, seminars so the first mini series is focusing on scotch so we've already done the boring one so I saw that. So that that looked really awesome. That was at Gold Bar, was it? Yeah, Monday nights at Gold Bar. Yeah, so, so that looked insane, and it looked like from the photos. And I missed out. I really wanted to go, but weeknight drinking just doesn't work for me. Hence why I've been to one whiskey adventure. Yeah, <laughs> and I tell you what, the next day was tough. Yeah, after that Freddie Mercury party. I understand. It's it is a tough one. The, the Monday nights are chosen for trade, but. If it takes off, we'll do them other nights as well. I think it makes sense because the kind of people who are going on and getting educated are the people who are recommending whiskies to us over a bar. Like it makes sense for the culture itself. Yeah. yeah. And there's nothing stronger than walking into a bar and the bartender saying, you know what, I'm drinking just now. Yeah. You know, it, it's conversational, but it's also you're sitting going, well, if that's what they're drinking, I'll, I'll have one of them. Exactly. Um, exactly. So that's, it's really cool for us. So the, the first one was... As I say, we, we went through the legal regulations of Scotch, which we tried to make entertaining. The next one's history, though, so it's more storytelling. And we're going to isolate six, uh, t- basically six points in the first 500 years of Scotch whiskey history and drink whiskey that matches the points and tell the stories that come with them. Yeah, that's awesome. And we'll carry that on and eventually we'll start doing, hopefully, if, if all goes well, we'll be malting barley in my kitchen and actually looking at time lapse of how barley gets malted for the whiskey industry and all that kind of stuff so the educational stuff taking off but the thing I think is that's going to make it most accessible and that we're most excited about is our new concept which is called Whiskey Adventures Flight Club um, so Flight Club uh, is, is pretty simple we man a bar for a few hours uh, just a, a bar that's open as normal um, you can come in and you basically pay a set price we're aiming for 35 to 40 bucks and you get three half nips, but the whiskies are insane. So the first one we're doing is Brugladi. So we've got a 10-year-old organic Brugladi, which is all the, all the barley was certified organic, and we'll tell the story about that, how it's all malt-driven. <laughs> we've got uh, Port Charlotte, which is their heavily peated from Brugladi as well. Love me a Port Charlotte. The one whiskey I've bought in the last year, which was probably the first time in years and years, was a Port Charlotte. Yeah. Because I love it. 
it's I mean it's a distillery close to my heart it's one of the many I've worked for but Port Charlotte was always my goal in terms of smoke and we'll tell people in the night why that is yeah but the big sort of showstopper is we've we've picked up the the $600 bottle of black art which is a secret cask recipe so it's a 1992 24-year-old whiskey but the master blender doesn't tell you anything about the recipe and Mm. he actually keeps that secret Um, and these are just whiskies that you very rarely find by the dram. And we'll be able to drink three of those, like, what, at half nips? So you, you get all three of those whiskies, half nips. So you get one Black Art, one Organic, and one Port Charlotte. So three half nips, and it's 35 bucks. And That's, we'll do, ri- that's ridiculous. That's well, really good value. It's about sharing it. And as I was saying to you guys, it's um, maybe a little bit of a secret, but we're hopefully going to be opening a very famous whiskey distillery's 30-year-old on Easter weekend. So... Keep your eyes out the Facebook group Whiskey Adventures Tasmania to cool. see if we can manage to pull that off. Well, that's been the big change for Whiskey Adventures this year. You've got a more public profile, whereas before it was kind of underground was the vibe I got. And now it seems like it's more of a brand than just a group of people yeah. connecting together, um, which is pretty cool. Yeah, the, the underground aspect, um, I think that was probably more down to the, let's just say, random sense of humour in the, in the Facebook messages. <laughs> um, but I've come back and, and very much, you know, Whiskey Adventures has defined my last five years, um, whether that has been uh, hosting events while I've been back in the UK. Um, so I was actually working back in the UK for a year, uh, looking after Glendronach, Ben Riek and Glenglassa throughout Asia and Pacific. Um, and Whiskey Adventure still popped its head up, so we still, I still got to travel down here and do every, every so often mm. we'd do one. Yeah, nice. um, it's also defined, I, I would say, my entire philosophy of whiskey in the last 16 years in this industry about sharing and everything else. And coming back to Taz and having really decided you know, where I'm going, I know what the end goal is, I don't know how we're going to get there. Um, it made sense to turn it into a business and try and share that kind of knowledge and, and good vibes and experience as much as possible and if it doesn't work we still have our awesome group of people that show up you know once a month yeah. but if we can get more people in to do you know monday nights and wednesday nights and drive whiskey knowledge forward it can only be good for the island because we'll see more brands coming down uh, and more sessions for people to go to as well yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah so on on driving people into whiskey we're gonna have a boiler maker now this yeah. is my first ever boiler maker so it's quite exciting. This is like meeting someone who's like I don't know, never never eaten crisps before. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I've had. It's I've, huge. I've talked to a few. Boilermakers seem like your thing. Yeah, I know, and I'm. I remember surprised. when I sent you the message, and I was like, "Craig's going to do boilermakers," and you're like, "Cool, what are those?" <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, Nothing to be ashamed of. This is awesome. Well, the only like I've always had bourbon barrel aged stouts and stuff like that. That's already been pre done for me, so it's cool to sort of flip that and put whiskey and beers that you wouldn't actually put whiskey in usually yeah and i'm not saying this high and mighty because i had my first boiler maker like four years ago yeah like mm-hmm. at st john's when uh, luke Dempsey was like do you want to have a boiler maker and i was like a little bit drunk and i was like yes i do i don't know what that is <laughs> like gar- i think it was like garage project death from above <laughs> yeah <laughs> right. something else like yeah. uh, is down downmore is that the one downmore's a yeah big rich sherry monster with, yeah, with the with a stag on it yeah. stag on it yeah it was so nice the, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of other people like me that's probably never had a boil maker and are listening um so could you run it the idea of it through yeah uh, it's one of those weird things that it's become a, a bit of a buzzword in the industry in the last few years but 
I don't really see many people drinking them, so I think it's maybe more a trade thing. However, mm, yeah. um, it's all about trying to match or contrast the flavour that you find in the whiskey with uh, with a beer. In Scotland, it's actually a much more widespread concept. Um, it's called a half and half. Oh, right. So you're essentially having a, a, a half, which is a 25ml measure and a half pint. Um, that sounds great. Yeah, my, my, uncle, <laughs> my uncle always used to tell me that the half pint was there just to basically gauge how quickly you should drink the whiskey. Um, oh. But again, if you're in Scotland and you're drinking uh, you know, a nice sort of uh, a, a Scottish bitter um, and you have a, a, a big rich whiskey, the two of them can work really well together. Yeah. Uh, so it's it, it there is a there's a flavour concept in there. Um, it's just maybe overshadowed a little bit or overlooked a bit in Scotland. So it's it's all about it's like matching food with anything. Mm. It's about you either contrast and go for two totally separate things, or you you try and uh, complement. So I brought three whiskies for us today. Um, first one, or the first thing I should say, is these are three different styles. So we've gone kind of light and fruity, rich and sherried, and deep and smoky. Mm. Um, and they're all whiskies that I picked up in destination sales for under a hundred dollars. Wow! So you know, whiskey, single malt whiskey doesn't have to be expensive to be to be real good. Um, and I've always thought that, and I've always gone out and bought two hundred and thirty dollar bottles and stuff like that. It's ridiculous. Also delicious though. You're yeah, I've yeah, <laughs> had a bad. Yeah, yeah, I've had a bad time. You're just a hot base though. I really am. Yeah, yeah, I can see why you've never had a boiler maker because you can't afford the beer. On the well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. That's a good point. Um, so the first whiskey we've got, uh, we've got a Benrieck ten year old. This is one of the whiskies that I basically drank every day last year because I, I worked with the company and it's one of those whiskies. Hashtag <laughs> it's one of those whiskies that I have um, it didn't take me long to fall in love with it it's Ben Reich we'll talk a bit about brewing later on and we probably will come back to Ben Reich but they're known for making real um, complex new make real fruity new make um, and a lot of that's down to the way that they the, the way that they ferment and the way that they brew um, so on the nose and uh, this one you get the malted barley, which you expect. Um, you get loads and loads of fruits coming through, though everything from orchards through to stone fruits, and that's from their fermentation process. Um, and the majority, not all, but the majority of that's been matured in bourbon barrels. Um, bourbon casks bring vanilla, they bring fresh fruit, they bring citrus. The citrus is more lemon, um, so they can add a real kind of light, woody complexity if used mm. properly. So quite a complex but delicate whiskey. Mm. And then we've gone with... I would say a lighter, simpler beer. So I'll let you guys um, wax lyrical on the on the Mubrut. Yeah, so we had a bit of a walk around the bottle shop upstairs. Which bottle shop was that? Uh, well, everyone's favourite home of beer, wine, spirits, celebrations at the Abbey. Celebrations at the Abbey. Not a sponsored post. Not a sponsored post. No, just one of our favourites. But um, one of our favourites. So we had a bit of a walk around because we knew the sort of styles of whiskey and we tried to pair it up or contrast, you know, as best we can. So with this one, we've gone with Moobrew Single Hop. Ian, why did we do that? Uh, we wanted something light and crisp where we could let the flavour of the whiskey kind of shine through a little bit. Because this is quite a light-bodied whiskey. You don't want it to be mm. overshadowed too much by the beer. So. Yeah. But we'll see what happens when we... 4.8%. Drop it. Easy going. I think it's Enigma Hops. Single okay. Hop. Cool. Uh, I think Single Hop's a great beer from me. I've yeah. like, forgotten how good Single Hop is. It's I imagine they do... A shit ton of it. Dave, come on the show. <laughs> yeah, Dave, come on the show. It's an absolute crap place. My dad's fridge is full. So, honestly, sitting. what am I doing with this boil mate? How do I do it? So, there's two two ways you can do it. You right. can sip the whiskey, then the beer, or you can sip the beer, then the whiskey. 
I think because we're, we're actually looking for the lightness of the beer to pop some of the delicacy of the whiskey, sip the beer first. Yeah. Mm. And then when you sip the whiskey on top, what should happen is the maltiness you got on the whiskey on its own should fall back and the fruit should bounce off the beer. Yeah. That's, that's the theory. Yeah, I definitely get that. That's, um, I've never actually been talked through a boiler maker. I've just had them. I'm very them. nervous about it. I feel I, like I'm just going to stuff it I up. I feel like it's something I've you got really a few. enjoy. You can't mm. stuff up enjoying mm. beer or whiskey, mm. right? I think there'll be a lot of listeners who love craft beer who've probably never had a boiler maker because they might not be into whiskey. And we're going we're gonna to get into why we've got a whiskey person on the show. Mm. Because there's... A crazy sensation that just happened in my mouth then. <laughs> that that, 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 that wow. bounce of fruitiness was exactly... It completely changes it. Yeah, that mm. was crazy yeah I, I like how the it's the kind of crisp green apples you're left with on the whiskey which weren't necessarily there on its own um, yeah so yeah I mean in terms of the, the, the craft beer and the whiskey single malt whiskey in particular I see it, it's really interesting because having worked in the, the industry and marketing and sales and you know import export pretty much everywhere including including production I've always seen similarities between whiskey drinkers and craft beer drinkers, but I've also found a lot of whiskey marketeers don't see the connection, and I think a lot of it is because they don't drink craft beer, and a lot of them don't drink whiskey. Yeah. Um, but if you go to Gab's uh, and you walk around, you will very quickly meet someone that wants to talk about whiskey as well. Mm. So there's a lot of... Um, well, you've brewed Gab's beer. Yeah, we did the Wolf of the Willows Rum and Raisin when I was mm. at Lark. I think that was the last time I was at Gab's. Yeah, that was actually that night we went to uh, a local it was a local Scottish pub and watched the Scottish Cup final. And I don't know if it was because I brewed a beer at Gab's or whatever, but um, my team won the, the Scottish Cup for the first time in 114 years. <laughs> so we're talking about, uh, you know, drinking beer and, and experiences um, I tell you what that Cooper's that was the only thing available in that shitty pub was the best <laughs> beer that I've ever tasted so. I, was actually drink, I was actually drinking I had a hard day at work yesterday and I was drinking Cooper's Pale Ale yeah. I was just like went out to the fridge and I'm like oh, I've got a I've got a barley wine I've got some stouts got a couple of spotty dogs fuck I've got some Cooper's Green though yeah. and it was great I tell you yeah. what yeah. sometimes just hits the spot right that was the same time that you me and you first met at that Gabs and you introduced yourself as Andy Murray because you do look <laughs> like Andy Murray and at the time he had been playing tennis in Melbourne and I remember you said yeah I'm Andy Murray yeah look I got knocked out of the open but it's fine my career's still going up. <laughs> yeah. and you were just like what really were you doing were you just like going, what <laughs> he was just reeled it off so confidently that I was like yeah I, I can see that that's yeah. fine um, that all came to a head oh, it was years and years ago just as he came out of the scene and it was again it was a football match uh, it was a semi-final of the Scottish Cup that year and we were all in this pub drinking afterwards and we were in the essentially in the way end the way fans end of the pub so you know there was good banter going back and forth between the two teams but this uh, this group of opposing fans um, just started this random chant there was about 200 of them in this pub singing there's only two Andy Murrays <laughs> pointing at me so um, brilliant yeah, I've kind of, I've, I've not really shaken that one, but I tell you what, there's, there's, uh, yeah, there's, there's richer people to look like, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Andrew married the scumbag, but I'm just gonna move on. <laughs> um, I well, think this is full title, Wimbledon champion, Andy Murray. Yeah, I'm not, a, not a married fan. We'll move on. Sure. I like you, Craig. Um, what do we think of the boiler? I think that these, for my first ever one, I think they quite, they pair up quite well. It's quite funny mm-hmm. because. Um, the single hop tastes quite bitter now. Mm. Whereas mm. before, yeah, I just like good. single hop to me is just like 
watery love juice. It's just nothing. Like it's it's a great beer to drink, and I love drinking it. Like at mofo events, but I don't think much about it. And now I can really taste the apple more in the whiskey, and I can yeah. taste the hops more in this. Well, I got I got that as well. As um, it just really clean seemed to clean the whiskey up a lot for me. Like it's crazy. Got a lot more like vanilla pear. Mm. Like yeah, it's really crazy cool. how it does that. That's um, yeah. I think I like how it works on both. Um, to go back to, to Clint's favourite whiskey, the 18-year-old Glen uh, Orangey, um, I met someone who'd been drinking quite a bit of Heartwood and then had a Glen Orangey 18 and went, oh, that's just piss weak. I can't get anything from that. I don't know why you would pay 150 bucks a bottle. And I'm like, what have you been drinking? Oh, you know, 63% Tim Duckett Heartwood. And I'm just sitting going, yeah. well, no wonder. Mm. So when we did the educational whiskey session, we actually set it up so that we went from a grain whiskey, which is the lightest style of Scotch whiskey you can get, straight into the Glenmorangie. So what ABV are you talking there? Uh, it's still 40%. Yeah. But the way grain whiskey is distilled is everything comes off at a really high ABV, which leaves very little space for congeners for flavour. Yeah. So the way that we kind of painted it in our philosophy is um, a grain whiskey gives you one colour in your spectrum of flavour. Um, and it gives you lots of it, so it's lots of apples and pears up at that 89% or uh, 84.5% alcohol it comes off the still at. Whereas a, a, a malt whiskey gives you a whole spectrum of, of flavour, it goes from the, the high alcohols to the low alcohols. So if you've got something really light and really kind of pear and fruit driven, and then you jump into an 18 year old Glenmorangie, which in, yeah. you know, it's like a Lafroig in comparison, even yeah. though it's normally the, the, the early morning drinking end of the scale. Um, we gave it blind to the same person and they were just like, what is that? That is the greatest thing I've ever tasted. So can Is that palate context? Yeah. yeah. It's 100% just giving your palate something to, um, you know, a, a point of, of reference that, that it's comfortable with and also working up in flavour because uh, a big peaty whiskey or a 65% ABV cash strength whiskey will obliterate your palate. It's really yeah, difficult I've, to come I've back. Been up, been up to Mr. Duckett's office on a Friday afternoon to pick up a bottle and he's just like, let's drink a few of these. Yeah. And I always make sure that I know I'm not going back to work because no way they're letting me through the door. Yeah. And he's just like, have a taste of this, have a taste of this. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, they're awesome and blowing my head off and I can't drive anymore because that's, <laughs> you know, 67% car strength. Yeah. Um, but the palate context is a really good one because full disclosure, I was at Preachers having pints before the episodes. Um, that which, is, yeah. Which is probably not a good idea. No, no. not your best, um, no. But I had a Deschutes, um, fr- what was it called? Fresh Hazy? No. Yeah, Fresh Haze. Fresh Haze. So it's like they're fresh squeezed but the hazy version. Juicy, delightful, oh, yeah. intense, loved mm. it. Mm. I really enjoyed that. And then oh. I was explaining to my non-beer friend, I was like, I want you to try a New England IPA. Um, I'm going to get you the Matriarch, which is co-conspirators, fantastic beer. First sip, I was just like, and I think it was all palate context, I was like, oh my God, it's so grassy and dank and... You know, marijuana, cat piss, like that full, like, Chinook vibes. And but like, you're still going, oh, give it to me. <laughs> yeah, but I was just like, I was really unexpected because I'm like, no, Matriarch's gentle and she holds me and, you know, she looks after me. Yeah, just completely. Um, but it was just that huge palate context. And even the guy I was drinking with, who's not a beer nerd, was like, oh, like, to start with, I was really like, oh, I couldn't taste this. It's too weird. It's, like, different. But then, like halfway through, I'm like, "Oh no, this is delightful!" And I was like, "Oh, that palate context has such a huge role mm. in what you're tasting." And sometimes you can trash a beer or a whiskey or a wine or whatever because you've tasted something just before it that's ruined you for that moment. Mm. 
which always puts competitions into perspective, doesn't it? You know, it does. Judging, it does. You know, Thirty different things. Mm. Excuse me, who are you? How'd you get here? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here for the whiskey. <laughs> so this is a great time to mention that full context, the home of your best beer, wine and spirits celebrations at the Abbey is where we're at. And Nick has joined us. Um, Thanks, lads. Yeah. We're going to do an episode of Nick very shortly, but he is joining us for the Whiskey Boilermaker episode. So you shut your mouth and you speak no more. <laughs> and you, you enjoy your alcohol. And so you'll be quiet, okay? Yes. You will. <laughs> <laughs> Along with the unexpected guests uh, opening the door every now and then. Well, yeah, look, that's which we thought would never happen. Next at one who walks in, we're going to sit down and give him a, a give him a boil, mate. Exactly. Um, so you will all get to hear Nick, who I know a lot of you have been DMing, DMing about and asking when he's going to join the show. You will hear him very soon. But back onto the whiskey. Yeah, I like. As we've been talking about, I feel like just that that single hopper sort of just stripped out that intense alcohol that I'm sure a lot of people would find with whiskey and it's just given it a nice clean... Yeah, I can actually taste things in that whiskey a lot better than I could before. And yeah. it's, it's amazing. I'm I really like it. It's kind of like to me how um, when I first experienced wine with food and how, how much it can elevate. Yeah. They can elevate each other. Very similar thing here where... Um, you just get that, like taking the whiskey up a level and taking, you know, the beer in this sense is sort of a compliment. The beer's not. a vessel for me. The beer's a vessel. Yeah. Deep. Um, just holding it and guiding it through a tunnel. Wow. That's, yeah. I Sorry. love that. Sorry. No, don't apologise. <laughs> I won't. I'm proud of that myself. That was quite <laughs> sexual. <laughs> so that's my, that's my first beer of the day and that's really hit the spot. Um, <laughs> you got two more to go. Yeah, I've got two of those to go. Um, great. I really enjoyed that. That was a ripper. All right. Before we set up the next Boilermaker, because this is how you should start every first episode of an afternoon is with a Boilermaker session, because the next episodes are going to be fantastic now. Yeah. <laughs> um, we want to start talking about, and we'll probably do it as, because I think it's a big topic, as we do this next Boilermaker. Why is a whiskey guy on a brewing show? And I think the real reason for that is you and I had a conversation about the role of brewing in whiskey. Yeah. And a lot of people don't understand that brewing has a role in whiskey. And I just really wanted to like completely open that up. Um, what is the role of brewing in whiskey? Why is it important? What's going on um, in that space? And, you know. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's an almost, I think, almost forgotten part of the process. So for... For people who've been round a round a distillery in Scotland, um, they probably have a, a, a good kind of grasp on the process of, of making whiskey and how uh, brewing and, and sort of um, fermentation obviously has a big part in that. For those that have been round a, a distillery in, in Tassie, um, it's maybe a little bit more obscure because not everyone down in Tasmania actually brews their own their own wash. So to make a whiskey, the first thing you need to do is make a base alcohol. Um, the Definition globally, you would say of whiskies, it's a, a grain-based product um, that has been uh, brewed, fermented, uh, distilled, uh, and spent some time resting and maturing. Most likely, so that word brewed, brewed, like that's the one we're focusing on, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. And that's what the big difference is right now in Australia. In in Australia, the brew process obviously has to happen, um, but uh, with the, the the fact that the industry is less than thirty years old. 
um, means that a lot of startups can't necessarily afford the full setup, the full brew equipment. Right. So there's no law in Australia that says you have to brew your own stuff in the same site. Whereas in Scotland, if you want to call it a single malt whiskey, in fact, if you want to call it a whiskey, it has to be brewed and distilled within the same uh, deed, within the same ground. So the, the wash, so to speak, has no, to be brewed there. It legally has to be made there. Um, otherwise, you're moving it to another distillery and, and it's not a, it can't be called a whiskey. So um, here, because of the startup nature, um, a lot of people have outsourced that part of the process. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, I would say the first one is probably because brewing in Scotland and Scotch whisky distilleries to a lot of people that um, are marketing and talking about whisky, they're experts, but when they're talking to consumers, it's not necessarily the most, the, the sexiest of topics to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, because brewers are ugly and have beards, except, except for me. Except for you. Because yeah. Yeah. you can't grow one. I can't grow one. Yeah. Make a note Thank you for making that clear, Ellie. No worries. Thank you, John. <laughs> so, actually, everyone in this room has a fucking beard. <laughs> Even you could qualify as a beard. And that's probably like two days. Ooh, I was pointing at the end, though. It's quite impressive. Yeah. The mustache. It's all about the mustache for me. Right. Yeah, yeah, same. I haven't shaved in a couple of days. Dude, I relish November. <laughs> Let's Back move on. Whiskey. Let's move on. Yeah. So, um, so they, 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 they want to talk about things you can notice in a big way, and a lot of that is peat smoke and casks. So they might focus on a bit in the malting process. They might focus on the maturation process, but they really, really talk about the brewing. And I so is that, is that the sexy part? Like that's the hops and yeast of it's, the whiskey world. It's the easy part, right? If, yeah. And again, it's that thing. It's if if you are. If you're nosing and tasting new make from the same distillery, right, you're looking for nuances that are so slight in some cases, those off notes can be so slight, that you have to be really well trained and have a really acute sense of smell um, to be able to pick them up. Now, acute sense of smell doesn't, you know, um, doesn't transmit into a room full of 100 people. If they're all listening to your every word, they want to know what can I taste right now, and that's generally smoke, it's oak, you know, um, whereas... When the distilleries are actually putting their um, their spirit together before it becomes whiskey, brewing is the one thing they'll actually spend most time thinking about. It's become a little homogenised in Scotch today because the average size of distillery will make 2 million litres of alcohol a year, so you're looking at close to 3 million bulk litres of single malt spirit from 100 plus distilleries. Fact, so are they having to make that much wash or is it even more? Oh, they're, that, they're making 10 times that in wash. Jesus Christ, so they're putting out more so wash the, than most the, breweries put out in beer in Australia. The average size of fermenter in those distilleries would be about 40,000 litres. Holy shitballs. <laughs> right? That's, that's a, uh, dwarfing pretty much every... Uh, no, that's dwarfing every single Tasmanian brewery yeah. and most Australian breweries. So think of that volume, but then also think of the, the whiskey industry's journey. So back in the late 17, early 1800s, everyone was the size we are down here. Right, mm. and no one had done it before, so they they kind of they they kind of plodded through. Um, and the way I always like to think about it is the first person that came up with a brand made it the best he possibly could, and then basically kept telling the the accountants and the salespeople, no, we're not going to make more because as soon as we have a shorter fermentation or as, you know as soon as we cut a corner in the process, mm. the quality of the whiskey drops. Mm. But then think about succession plans, and you hand over. You know, to, to your offspring, and they come in and they want to impress the whole company because they're now top of the tree. Yeah. And the accountant comes along and says, You know what? See if you did a three day ferment instead of a five day ferment, 
you can make more. Mm. Well, they make that decision, they pump out more, but they do changes and they spend the rest of their career trying to find other bits of the process they can change to try and get back to that benchmark that they inherited and they never ever manage to do it. Mm. So fast forward, you get to say the 1960s and those one, two percent cuts have been made all the way through the last 200 years and then you get to the 60s and the big companies go, you know what, we're going to centralise malting. So the actual process of barley processing and handling before it gets to the distillery gets centralised. Big change, hmm. big increase in consistency. However, you're losing those three and four percent gains all over the shop. Hmm. You then start to see yeast being developed um, specifically for distilleries. They used to just basically get spent yeast from brewers, so they'd go and and get get bags of yeast from the the old batches and, and yeah. throw them in. But with a turbo distiller's yeast that's been developed, they can get higher alcohol yields. Um, they can ferment faster and it goes like crazy I've, I've watched it going and it's like IBCs will literally sit full of wash yeah. and if you don't put a big enough blow off valve on the side of them they will just go yeah. tropo oh, it's crazy. and there's no there's no temp control mm, mm, there's no no temp control well, on, I mean, some, on some of them in Scotland it's not as big an issue as you would have in, in Australia because it's a bit colder up there mm-hmm. uh, most of the time so there's, there's no temperature control on, on those vessels um but basically, those yeasts coming in meant that brewer's yeast disappeared. Um, you know, mixtures of yeasts have started to become in fashion again in Scotland, but they're not really talked about because of the um, homogenization of that brewing process. Most distilleries will do a two and a half, three and a half day ferment. And the ones who do it differently might mention it to their brand ambassadors who go out and talk about it, but it's not really communicated in a way of, you know, from a flavor perspective, and, and it's almost lost. So is it very much like the craft beer industry where, you know, craft brewers as a whole are trying to nuance themselves and trying to reach every little pinnacle of flavour and sometimes that's going astray and sometimes that's going the right way or whatever. Um, but they're trying to differentiate from the, the bud, the cause, the cascade, the bogues in, in that sense. Like yeah. is it a similar trajectory? To a certain degree. Or are those big distillers still trying to make a really great product? They're just trying to minimise the cost. They're all there's there's a bit of both. There. The, the the cost minimisation is a big, it's a big factor, um, but not to the extent of you know like not every decision that's made is, is down to is going to is going to lead to loss of flavour. Um, a big thing that happened recently uh, with a, there was a shortage of scotch so think about a, an average 10 to 12 year old whiskey in the market it takes 10 to 12 years to make more of it so a lot of them went for non-age statement so that's not unaged whiskey but whiskey that doesn't carry an age statement on the bottle so it has to be at least 3 years old but most of them would have still been released 8-9 years old but they didn't hit the magic 10 so the, there was no age put on the bottle so are they not allowed to put the age on? oh they can but I've seen, just I swear sexy. I've seen eight-year-olds before. Yeah, so yeah. I, I have a lager von eight-year. Can mm. you put that in some context for people? Might um, that just gen- be a genuine eight-year? Like, could that be... That's all going to be... The, the interesting thing about Lagerbullen, so Lagerbullen's a heavily peated whiskey. Yeah. If you're a distiller and you're um, you're trying to release whiskey earlier, there's two... Well, the, the one thing you're trying to minimise is, is um, these fl- the flavours known as faints. Faints taste soapy, you know, um, they can taste meaty, they can taste fishy, they, yeah. they're, they're not the nicest things. They carry weight on the palate, so they sit yeah. right at the back of the palate. Right. To me, this one was very straw-like, very honeyed. Um. So, the interesting thing about faints is faints will sit in the same part of the palate as tannins from yeah. wine casks. Right. 
and peat smoke. Peat smoke always comes through at the end of distillation. So if you want to release a whiskey younger, um, if you've got a tannic wine influence or you've got a lot of peat, it will actually achieve balance quicker. So Lagavulin at eight is a totally acceptable product. In fact, most single malts from Scotland at eight years old will be totally acceptable products. Um, but some of them, just the way that they're distilled, actually need a bit more time to come to balance. Yeah. So it's not that young whiskey's bad, um, it's just that when you're replacing a 12-year-old with one of these, you know, seven, eight, nine-year-old whiskies, if, if it's not the right product to do that with, then consumers will see a, a drop in, in yeah. price. But if you look at your Isla whisky, so Lagavulin came out with an eight, Ardbeg, outside of the 10-year-old, doesn't really have age statements on anything. Yeah. Kilcoman has never released an age statement whisky. They're all young juice because the yeah. peat smoke actually hides those off notes yeah so it's not about saying older's better it's just that the industry will react and try as it you know as much as it can to obviously please shareholders uh, and, and 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 hit quotas there's a value to age too like it's we find the same in beer like bourbon barrel aged two years yeah is better for no reason than yeah, six months. Well, it's but let's save that back. Like locally, you've got um, crowds like Nant, um, no age statements on their bottles. It's because it doesn't and, exist. And it's Tasmanian Highland, Tassie Highland malt, and they'll kind of go like, "Well, it doesn't take us as long to turn out whiskey." I mean, if you look at so there's uh, there's a few ways to look at that. Most Tassie whiskies don't carry an age statement for the simple reason that they're all very young. Yeah, um, the yeah, average exactly. average age on the shelf outside of Sullivan's will be four. Yeah, um, most uh, will be. In fact, the new ones, there'll be two. Uh, I think Lark is... So, so even that's like much younger than I thought. Mm, Lark yeah, is starting, crazy, to, hey? starting to creep, creep up to six and seven-year-old whiskey again. Yeah. Um, they, again, it's, it's that thing, oak is sexy, so people will come in and say, it's in a 100-litre cask and small casks age whiskey faster, which is bullshit, right? You can't age a whiskey faster without a DeLorean time machine. But a smaller cask gives you a bigger percentage of your spirit. Yeah. Contact Can you adult. explain for a moment um, what is a DeLorean time machine? Back to the Future? Yeah. No, Back to the Future. Of course I do. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should have said at 88 miles per hour just to, uh, to, to make that clear. Uh, thank you. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry for interjecting. No, not at all. Not at all. Because um, Lark use quite small casks, don't they? Well, most distilleries do. Um, oh, okay. Lark, the average is 100 litre casks. A lot of distilleries using 20. So what happens with that? Think of it this way. If you've got an espresso cup, I'm doing a coffee thing Oh, yeah. Oh, damn. Nice. Oh, no. You've got an espresso cup, Here um, we go. a mug, and a bucket, right? And you fill them all with water at the same temperature, and you drop a tea bag in each. Which one's going to take on more tannin from the tea bag? Huge. Yeah, the Huge. It's the smallest one. Yeah. So you get more influence from the oak. My but blind. Maturation, <laughs> maturation, which isn't necessarily what we're talking about, but there's beer bits in here as well when you put stuff into casks. It's just a brew ratio. Yeah. So that's if you've savage. got your small, smallest cup taking on loads of oak, that's great. However, the evaporation rate will be higher, but the, so there's, there's three bits of to maturation. Addition from the oak, um, subtraction from the angel share, that's the evaporation, and what we call chemical, which is essentially flavours evolving from the process. But all of those things will need time to get to know each other as well. Yeah. So you can have an amazing 20 litre cask of whiskey at two years old, but as soon as you add water to it, it shits the bed because yeah, it's right. not in balance. Yeah. So you can sit there and go, you know what, at 60%, that is awesome. And that's where a lot of Tazi whiskies are just now. They don't actually need water added because water will show the flaws. 
Mm. When you start getting to four, five, six years in 100 litre casks, it becomes less of a problem. Because what the guys and, and girls are doing at the stills in Tassie, which is different to Scotland, because they're making 100 litres a day instead of 8,000 litres a day, mm. is every single cut is made by their sense of smell and taste. So they can actually make a human um, interjection and say, if I just add a little bit more faints at the end of this, that's going to bring the fruit at the front forward, it's going to balance everything, and we're going to have an awesome new make spirit. Whereas in Scotland, they'll turn around and they'll say, well, on average, at this time of the year, if we cut at 76% and then cut at 63% alcohol based on what we put into the still, that will give us um, you know, our perfect new make spirit. And then what they'll do is they'll say, add five minutes on at the front, and take five minutes off at the end to avoid faints and to avoid you know nastiness from the start. Mm. And we'll have a safe spirit that's bloody delicious. But it's not playing in the edges. We're playing in the margins down at Taz because the guys can sit there and go, you know what, I'm going to wait 30 seconds. So to they see can what be happens. a bit looser. They can be looser, but it ends up with a more, um, let's just say, a, a more refined spirit going into those casks. Mm. So there's less flaws Sorry. in the Tazzy, less flaws theoretically in the Tazzy whiskey if they get it right. But there's no. also more danger of them getting it wrong. But that's why they're sitting at the, the still and nosing and tasting everything. Wow. And that's why they're doing quite so well. how many more episodes are you coming in for? Yeah, so that, I mean, that, the thing is, we didn't, we didn't even really talk about brewing there. You know, what I was trying to get at was when we talk about um, those things, like the casks and everything else, which everyone latches onto because they're easy that's the thing like you that's know. how I'm learning about whiskey is like I'm starting to learn what casks are well, that's, yeah. the, that's the tangible information for people and, and, it's and like me telling someone that a coffee's from Brazil instead of Colombia I love like, Brazil it's, it's tangible information for people let yeah. alone the processing the hillside it's grown on and the weather fall yeah it's tangible for people so for us one of the biggest things that I've learned doing all, all these whiskey adventures is um, we need to try and bring that information in but hook on to the things people find exciting so we'll always have a you know a sherry cask event or a peated event um we're never going to turn around and go all these whiskies were fermented for five days because no one knows what it means no one's going to come along but, like, i saw your sherry event the other day and i was just like fuck yeah i'm in yeah like i'll make that happen yeah so same with freddie mercury <laughs> and if and if you think about the whiskey industry or the whiskey process right and this is where um We'll, we'll, we'll come back to brewing, but if you think about the, the malting of the, the, the barley for single malt whiskey, it's a bit like the preparation of the beans for coffee. If you think about the mill, it's exactly the same as the grinder. We will adjust the mill to give us more grits, more grist, more flour, to allow the flow to pick up the most sugar, yeah. right? It's just increasing or decreasing extraction. 100%. We will oh, look no, at... I said an extraction. And stop raising right. the table stop raising <laughs> the table <laughs> now you, you throw that's just milling right that's just the milling process which no one talks about but what you're talking about is brewing you're yeah. talking about doing a mash well yeah like you're talking about brewing and uh, so for for this you throw brewing in there right we can throw coffee in there this has yeah. been my mission is how do we communicate with all those people um, wine's the same like if you've got galettes like they have in Chateauneuf-du-Pape the, the, the drainage is going to be bigger it's like having a big grind oh, in your and, now, and now right? Nick sat forward in the chair we're good now right? we're so good <laughs> you, you, you do all that and, and you just you just have to try and think of whiskey in different ways so that's the, that's just the as I say just the mill then obviously you've got your, your mash and your fermentation everything up to that point is flavour creation so are you working like in terms of your mash because I've never made I've never made wash. Right. Um, obviously, I'll probably get a call or a text a fortnight asking, can you make me wash? Yeah. Here's what I'll pay. Mm. 
But in terms of the wash, like so, same as a, a lot of listeners are brewers, um, same as brewing, are you looking for a specific mash temperature to create that viscosity and that sort of there's, terminal gravity? Or There's so much that, that can go into it. Now, the things to look at, we don't play with hops. No. Um, we don't boil. We do, but for extraction later on in the still. Oh, okay, sure. Right? Yeah, um, I've, I've never seen wash boiled in what yeah. I've seen happen so what, what we do is we make our wash and then we boil it so that the, the still is just there to concentrate flavors and extract off notes we can mm. talk about that later on but in terms of the brewing stuff when we go into the uh, into the mash tun there's two things that the guys are i guess looking for one is maximum sugar extraction um and their pitched um strike temp is really important so we mm. want all those alpha and beta amylases in the uh, in yeah. the barley to, to basically be their best to give us as much fermentable sugar as we possibly can mm. now in Scotland that rest period for the mash generally 20 minutes right yeah. it's about making as much beer as possible all as those enzymes are doing their thing in the first 20 like after that yeah. you're just extracting sugars right? in Tazi your rest is closer to an hour because there's other things happening there as well now if you asked us to quantify them we just know it makes the flavour taste you know change we don't mm. know exactly what's going on you guys probably have a better handle on that than us but, but leaving it for that extra hour, you're going to have, I guess, probably other bacteria and stuff. Then we sparge on. Sparse temperatures in Scotland will be, you know, we've struck at 63, we'll sparge on at 72. So you strike really low. Yeah. Just, yeah, just for maximum maximum enzyme interaction. Yeah. Then you'll sparge on about 75, yeah. right? And then you'll sparge on an almost boil. Um, almost boiling water and that the reason it's going in so hot is it's basically going to be drained through put back into a hot liquor tank and it's going to hold any excess sugar so if you're coming on really hot and going back into that hot liquor tank and your first strike temperature 63 you just have to wait for that to cool so you're not worried about extracting like tannins from the grain husks at that high temp or anything like it's just in scotch whiskey no yeah in tazzy whiskey yes Um. and again it depends where you are and and if, if you're brewing yourself a lot of the distillers out there might not have even thought to this level, but Chris Thompson at Lark has, and that's who I basically did my apprenticeship under. That's who I work with most on the distilling floor. And the guy just, he knows his organic Come chemistry. He knows his brewing. He'll cost you a lot of beer. <laughs> um, but basically, um, we looked at all that stuff and we tried different sparse temperatures. And, you know, when you're throwing on at that, that Scottish, you know, 90 degrees Celsius, you're, you can watch the tannin from the grain almost like spill out it's, it's yeah well you're saying 90 degrees celsius like scares the shit out of me like i can yeah. just imagine my beer is tasting husky as fuck like it's tasting like no think about like that bad shepherd we had in Hus- husky in beer victoria multi-whiskey you know you want to carry oh. some of that stuff through right so you, you you drain that water off um and as i say that's all you've really got to play with are those those sparse temperatures mm. um at that point um, you do a, a, obviously a recirculation on top and then you'll start draining off and then this is where again you can play about with different stuff um, there's distillers who will uh, run into the, the top of the fermenter to get more oxygen basically drop it from a height now because oh, right. because we're not boiling we're not actually driving a lot of that oxygen out so we don't actually need to aerate or agitate as much the same as way think. we do as a beer we drive pure oxygen into it on yeah. The way. yeah whereas in, in Scotland with those 40,000 litre fermenters um, they're in the same, you know, point as us. They're not. They're not going up. They're not boiling it. So they'll go in through the bottom to minimise oxygen. 
um, because there's enough in there to get the yeast going. Mm. Um, but basically too much oxygen and you get more faints and less fruit, less esters. So if you can strike that balance, you'll get healthy yeast, you get good fermentation and you can get those fruits and less of the faints, less of the heavy notes, the fusel oils. I, I feel like there's so much more to whiskey in the same way that there is to beer. I just feel like I've got a better handle on it. Yeah. Than now, we probably even knew at the start of this episode. Yeah, think right. of if you're a distiller, right, and you're just starting out and you're learning from other people and they go, you know what, you can buy your, your fermentation from someone else. I mean, I don't have an issue with that, but think of the amount of control you're giving to someone else. And mm. if you're just, you know, if you're just phoning up Clinton saying, can you make this some wash, I'll pay this much, and giving you no more information, you're sitting there going, all right, well, what do we do? Just just chucking some, some whiskey yeast and away you go. Well, that's the interesting thing because that's kind of how it rolls. Like, and in terms of we haven't ever executed one of those deals, so I'm not saying that the people who have asked us wouldn't have asked us to do certain things, but what we've got so far is we need this much. Can you supply this much a week? This is the price of it. Mm. You'll need these malts and this yeast. Now, so. the other thing I'll throw out there is, you know, when you get to try some of these whiskies that are coming online, they're delicious. So it's, it's not that that approach is, co- is, is causing the Tassie whiskey industry to produce terrible whiskey. However, imagine how much variation, more variation you'd have within the category oh, if people were doing different stuff. So one of my, um, yeah. my favourite places is, is the little shed distillery Fanny's Bay in the north of the state, up mm. in Tamashana. They're lagering their ferments. They're sitting on them for 14 days and they're using lager yeast. I love, um, I love how you say that, like it's a long thing. It's like for beer, 14 days is pretty Well, efficient. yeah, but for, <laughs> you know, for, for, for single malt whiskey. But what's amazing is um, Matthew up there and myself, we're, we're, we're basically trying to, I'm trying to take him and a couple of the other distillers up there through this idea of instead of saying we're going to do this, I wonder what's going to happen. Tell us what you want to produce and let's try and reverse engineer the whiskey. Mm. So we're, we're hopefully going to in the winter do some real big peaty, smoky stuff. Um, we're hopefully gonna try and get more fruit um, by bringing some ale yeast in as well. There's there's lots of different things that we can play with, mm-hmm. um, and it's just it's starting. But the, the kind of brewing revolution within the whiskey industry is it's got a way to go down in Tassie. Absolutely, it's pretty awesome, and it tastes delicious. Too, well, right? let's do let's do a boiler maker. Yeah, I'm definitely keen for another. Yeah, before any of us go dry. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll do you first, Clint. Uh, oh, thank so you. So, what's this whiskey? So, it's obviously a different, different cask, different cask isn't it? Yeah. So, um, I've gone with this one uh, from the same distillery because, again, to, to go on that idea that the the real exciting and, and almost uh, obvious things to pick out in whiskey are either the smoke or the casks. I thought I'll pick a nice, uh, a nice sherry influenced whiskey. Um, so, this is another Ben Rieck, but this one. Um, has spent at least 12 years in different sherry casks. Uh, it's a mixture of dry Oloroso sherry cask for 12 years, um, Pedro Jimenez sherry cask for 12 years, and then whiskey that's been started in bourbon and finished in both of those casks as well. Uh, and that's gonna go with the Ocho. Oh, yeah. oh Ocho the, Red. The I, new seasonal autumnal. Autumnal. One of you two Red IPA. Uh, Step Bro boys can talk about this because I'm pretty sure you frothed on it. We I really both it. frothed on this. Um, I think we also had polarizing reviews for it, though. Really? I think we all picked different things out of it. Not, be- not because any of us were wrong. It's just, it's just a bloody great brewer. I liked it because Stu made it. Yeah. 
I had this one dressed as a pirate on a boat. Wonderful. So, <laughs> um, I'm pretty happy I feel bad it. that I'm not dressed up as anything right now. Well, I, I didn't give you the memo. Yeah, so. that, that's really. I think I think the funny yeah when I went to my first whiskey adventure and I was telling Ian and Ali about it, they were like, "Holy shit, what is this magical thing you're talking about where you get to dress up?" You missed you missed Nick. Um, Nick, go no. and get some more from upstairs, please. And no, just because celebrations is no, the home just... of your best beer, wine, and spirits, yeah. does not mean that he can just get you fresh beer all the time. Um, so, um, what are we going for here? Try, yeah, so here you've got uh, Benrique 12 Sherry Cast Whiskies instead of all those lovely fresh fruits that we got from the bourbon driven 10 year old. It's exactly mm. the same brewing process for this whiskey, but the sherry is bringing in dried fruits. It's bringing in. A, I think I'm a big sherry person. Yeah. I think that's what I'm so liking. I've so always far. been a sherry person. Um, some people get a slight kind of struck matches, rubbery note coming in there, which is, is something that comes out in a lot of um, a lot of sherry whiskies, and it's a it, in most it's a balancing factor as opposed to a, a particularly bad thing. Um, we're hoping that that slight kind of as I say, I want to say struck matches instead of sulfur, but that slight heavy sherry influence is gonna. Um, come out with a kind of roasted flavour of the, 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 um, the ocho. Mm. So I want to see, I want to see what, what's pulled out of both of these again. Yeah. So There's some more spice as well. So last time I went whiskey first and then beer. I'm going to go beer first and then whiskey because... Oh, actually just tasting the beer and then going whiskey, the, the rubber is just gone. That nose is actually cleaned up. Yeah, right. Beautifully. Um, so... One thing that I know Ian is super excited about, and I've heard it before, and I heard it over breakfast when we weren't drinking, and I was excited, is your flavour window, are we calling it? No, mural? Um, what, are we, what are we calling it? Uh, see, let's see, landscape. Um, landscape. Yeah. Uh, this is a... Context, even my wife was excited. And she really? She doesn't like whiskey, and afterwards she wow. was just like... Wow, Craig like knows his stuff, and I was like, yeah. She's like, the thing about the mural and the wall and where you picked. So I'm not going to spoil it. Well, it's again, it's it's that it comes down to the the the, the whiskey adventures philosophy about trying to make things a bit simpler, but also trying to relate everything back to stuff we can all um, connect with, I suppose. Mm. Um, well, that's what flavor is. It's recollection. 100. percent And aroma and flavor is it's like candy. You that's know, so good. It's our biggest sort of memory trigger, right? Um, that's you know that smell and everything else. I actually read a bunch of books on um, the science of scent, and there wasn't a lot of research done on it. And the reason for that is Sigmund Freud actually lost his sense of smell uh, after a particularly, I think, he had a particularly bad bout of flu, and um, I think he was addicted to cocaine, maybe. But because he didn't, probably has something to do with it. We've all yeah, been, we've all been there. Because he couldn't, <laughs> because he couldn't smell anything. Um, that field of, of um, uh, you know, that, that whole field of science, sensory science was, was never done because mm. his reading was always seen as the be all and end all. Um, and last year when I was up at Glendronach House in the Highlands of Scotland, I was with another guy called Stuart Buchanan um, and a bunch of our colleagues from Mexico. And he just said something, he was halfway through, he was, he was running through this amazing spiel about uh, some new whiskey that was coming out and he said and if you look out the window and just halfway through that I had this epiphany and I was like dude I've got it and he's like what and I was like I've got it and it was just a way of thinking of, of aroma and flavour so the theory is this that every aroma and flavour has its own boiling point right um, it makes sense you ha and you end up with a spectrum of aromas and flavours mm -hmm. now when you're when you're distilling alcohol um, 
the still will get to the lowest boiling point and everything will boil off and then it'll move up to the second lowest boiling point and everything will boil off <laughs> and then the third and everything will boil off mm. that bottle of whiskey seems to have just run out of the, run out of the room <laughs> um, so you end up with a step of flavour and boiling points and also the ABV drops Yeah. so you have this correlation between a flavour and an alcohol content right? now this is sounding really boring but if you start talking about that flavour instead of just a bit in the spectrum, you start saying, well, the first stuff to come through is, like, um, pear drops. You say this is boring. I'm, like, on the edge of my seat. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, say the first aromas to come through are the light, fruity aromas, and pear drops is a big one. It's not something you want in a beer. It's not something you want in a whiskey. Mm. But that clean um, aroma will mm. generally come through in the high 70% alcohols. Again, yeah. it depends what you put into the still, but we'll get into that in another episode. Then you go through yeah, this. We're locked in. Yeah. Locked in. Then, feel, yeah I've already written it down in my notes. Like yeah. Episode two coming. Then you go through different fruits, and then you'll get to a point where everything kind of tastes malty, and then you start getting into heavier notes, so meatier notes. So I imagine this this landscape, and on the far left, as you look at it, if we're working from left to right, and it's funny when I was traveling Asia, you had to work the other way because they, they read everything. Oh, yeah. right. Is that all through Asia? Uh, in, in a lot of places. So mm. in Japan, Middle East as well, you know, right in yeah, Arabic. Right. Um, so on the, on, you know. on the left, what you, so what you had on your far left was basically, um, you maybe had a, a, a factory that really far away that was burning tires, mm. right? That's, that's off notes that have come through from the previous batch, but they're there. Then you get, uh, you, you scan across and you get to these lovely orchards. So there's loads of apples and pears and all these orchard fruits. If you're, as Alec. Yeah. if you're working at uh, Ben Reik with a long fermentation, clean fermentation, about five days, six days in some cases. So not, not a sponsored post anymore? Just no. good whiskey? Yeah. Okay, continue. No, I'm talking about the brewing process. Context, <laughs> right? So that they'd have then tropical fruits, yep. you know, mangoes and pineapples and all that kind of stuff. Ooh. Then you're going to get to this point where you get grassy notes. So just imagine, you know, fields of grass and then hay. In fact, I'd say hay first. Mm. Like that uh, scene great. from uh, 300 where she's walking through the paddock and touching the grass. <laughs> yeah, right. So <laughs> got, basically Lena Headley so touching you, grass. You've got the hay, then you've got barley itself, and then you'll hit probably green grass, it tends to be heavier notes, mm, and then yep. you start to get to meaty stuff, so you might have a field of sheep, and a field, of, field of, of cows. Then if you're brewing peaty whiskey, you have a little bonfire that's far away, but it gets mm. closer and closer. Oh, yeah. And then when your faints come in, you'll hit a soap factory, Maybe a coriander place because it stinks. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and cucumbers everywhere. And cucumbers, <laughs> cucumbers well, fucking everywhere. And then you'll hit a dead coast with like, you know, people with really stinky feet and, and fish that's gone off, right? So imagine that's your entire flavor spectrum. And it's like a window, like you're as, looking at this scene. And this is the scene. And as a distiller, your job is to decide what you want to see out your window. That's amazing. Right? It's huge, isn't it? So if you are at the whiskey... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just holding it. Yeah. <laughs> so like if you're changing at, me. If you're, at, if you're at Ben Reik, the whiskey we're trying just now, they want to get everything from apples right the way through to just before the meaty stuff comes through when they're doing their unpeated whiskey. So they take a real, they've got a real long um, window you know, a real horizontally long window. But if you then go to their sister distillery, Glendronic, who wants a big meaty whiskey that's going to go into sherry cask, they could not really care less about a lot of that fruit. So they'll come in just at the end of the fruit, they'll go right the way through, but they'll take it into the, the, the fields full of, of animals, right? If you're at Lechek, a whiskey we're going to look at last, and you want peat smoke, you've got to go basically from wherever you want, but you've got to capture those bonfires. 
So your job is as a distiller is to create a vista that doesn't have any of the bad stuff because the bad stuff's always going to be there, but actually captures the aromas and flavors you want. Um, Macallan is famous for having the narrowest window, but what's in that window, all the meaty stuff and all the malty stuff, is so intensely packed because that's what they capture from the brewing process. Yeah, that's when when you described that to me over breakfast, um, I was just like captivated because. Mm. As like as a brewer, I feel like we can just pick and choose from a lot of places, but then when you describe it as a vista, it's just completely different. And this boilermaker combo is fucking insane. Uh, yeah, I've I've nearly finished it. I've because I love sherry. I'm loving. I love the... Ocho Red. Mm. I love this. Combined, um, it's just. It is, it's, it's, this is better than a lot of the really expensive whiskies I've ever had because of the combination of yeah, I think I'm still not even thinking about whiskey I'm just like fuck the way I'm ch- making coffee has changed <laughs> <laughs> hold yeah. on did you just relate it back to coffee I'm uh, really uh, fucking surprised I'm sorry <laughs> coffee podcast. I knew you'd love this I knew as soon as Craig was coming on that I wanted him to talk about the window the, because the window is huge the thing about that is that once you understand the window we can build loads of stuff in. So the, the way that the window works, right, from the left to the right, will actually, if you're standing at a still, it will translate from the front of your tongue to the back of your tongue. That's the way the still comes off, right? So when we hear Mr. Duckett talking about the front and the back and the, the brontosaurus... Right, so front for that's him That's what is, he's talking that's about. That's exactly what he's talking about. He's just using a brontosaurus as his <laughs> palate context. So, and as a distiller, we'll create... That brontosaurus flavour will actually probably um, go up and it'll heighten at the end... We can use casks to add to that as well. So this is where it gets really deep. Bourbon cask play on the left-hand side of that spectrum. Wine cask and port cask play in the middle. Sherry cask play at the back, right? So you, you've also got a direct correlation from the front of your tongue to the back. From where the oak influence, the type of oak and what's been in it for, also plays in that window. Your alcohol content goes from highest on the left to lowest on the right. So everything actually follows this philosophy through. And it's about taking your favourite part of that philosophy, whether you're understanding the coffee aspect or the wine aspect or the alcohol aspect, and then going back and saying, what does that taste like? Where is it sitting in terms of what can we taste on that spectrum? It's fucking awesome. Under moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking awesome. We we did suspect that at the start of this episode, I'm just looking over at the clock. We're running out of time, aren't we? That we were going to take a while. Oh, and we, we don't run out of time here. No, we, we don't just, run out uh, of time. We, um, we make time for this. But <laughs> we're clearly going to need you back for an episode. Yeah, I mean, I need you to come to my work and I'm going to prepare you on a flight of espressos. <laughs> I'm in for that as well. I'm absolutely so, for that as well. How's your palate then? Is your palate pretty tuned in? Um, I would say palates for everyone, it's, it's all about practice. Um, you can't smell something you haven't come across before. Mm. Um, so that, that's why some people might see me in the shoe section at Maya. Um, <laughs> <laughs> smelling all the full leathers. But uh, um, I remember the first time someone said to me, like, oh, this smells like papaya. I'm like, what? I think yeah, that was well, on the podcast. I mean, because like, you've never had papaya. Yeah. Yeah, what's amazing about it is like we talk about um, uh, particularly Speyside whiskies. So um, Ben Rake and Glenfiddich are two, and Glenliver are three very famous examples where a lot of people smell pineapple. Now they were making whiskies that smelled like pineapple before a pineapple had ever been in Scotland. Mm, yeah. So those fruits must have shown up in Scotland, and someone was like, "Holy shit, this smells like Glenfiddich," <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's the thing. When when I was travelling round, if I was in the Philippines. You know, I, I couldn't talk about iron brew or, you know, we had to talk about tropical fruits. 
you know, they, they, it wasn't massive in orchard fruits. It was it was the wrong climate. Same thing, you know, if you're in India, everything you try and bring it back to spices and things that they know. On that side, you end up with all these amazing experiences and trying new and different things and relating them back. So when people were giving me uh, and the king fruit, the thing that smells like decay and death to a lot of people, there's a lot of similarities with mm. um, a Dunnage warehouse in Scotland and blue cheese. Mm. So yeah. it's it's got that thing that you're either repulsed by or you're obsessed with. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And all the hotels tell you not to bring it inside, and, but they yeah. also tell you to go try it. Yeah, yeah. So it, you know, it's that thing that um, it's all relative, and and I wouldn't say my palate's any better than anyone else's, but my memory is more attuned. I will remember something, and I'll, I'll squirrel it away in my vocabulary of aroma. So when you're doing whiskey adventures, or any time, like even if you're just with mates, like talking about whiskey and making it, uh, bringing that information to people, making it tangible for them, mm. um, I find um, when I'm preparing drinks for someone, I have to make that information tangible. Yeah. So I'm very careful to break it down. I won't talk about, um, for me, one example, someone said, oh, this coffee tastes like key lime pie. Does that mean? Like, yeah. No one knows what that means. Key lime pie is great. Yeah, but it's a, it's a very American dessert. Like, and over here we're all going, uh, what? Yeah. But he would have been better saying it tastes like citrus and biscuit. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can. I think that's a really important thing. You you break it down because if you if you describe it in a way that doesn't translate, you're gonna have to break it down anyway. Because like we said, flavor is recollection. If I've never tasted that, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I find because I don't have the greatest palate, and training I think is super important, um, and Nick will attest to this. Uh, like I used to be, I used to work in a cocktail bar that had an amazing wine list. We had 400 wines, um, 200 spirits, and this was back. Are you flexing? In, yes. <laughs> this was back in like 2007 in Hobart. Like that's a little scary to think about. And every Monday morning we would have to go into work. And there would be 20 wines by the glass for the week. And you would taste them and take notes. And I was 18. And I'd like literally drink it, drunk, um, oh shit, what's it even called now? You know the New Zealand wine, uh, Nobolo or something or, you know. Nobolo. Nobolo, yeah. It's like an old classic. Like it's not. Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) It's not very good. Nobolo, no. No, it's not very good. Okay, yeah. But I'd had, that that was, yeah, it was popular. Um, it was like one of the first New Zealand wines that came across, like a Sauv Blanc that people were like, oh, New Zealand Sauv Blanc. And I was like, it was shit. <laughs> but that's what I drank because I was 18 and I needed something cheap to get me drunk. And then I start turning up and start drinking 20 wines by the glass a week. And it was like, we're drinking French champagne because we're selling that for 27 bucks a glass. And you would have to turn up and drink it and say what you thought about it. And you get that palate context and you start building and building and building and then you leave that job and you can't afford any of the shit you like yeah. um, so you just stop drinking wine and now if you gave me a glass of red I'd just be like it's pretty good <laughs> um, that's, that's with me with but wine. you build up that context but if you've got someone nearby who has a really good palate and can tell you tell you, and Ian, like Ian has a pretty good palate um, sometimes when doing an episode you'll be like oh this tastes like Fairy floss, and I'd be like, "Oh fuck yeah!" It's like raspberry. Yeah, when you're drinking and you it, it's in. It, yeah. yeah, you connect it together. And you connect it together, and like craft beer dispensary for me. Anytime I drink with him, and he's like, "This tastes like this," I'm just like, "Yes, it does." And like we give all of our pilot batches to him, and he mm. just tells tells us, he's like, "Oh, if you could get more grapefruit at the back end, I don't know how you do it, but if you could do that, it would be better." Yeah, um, and, and that's it's so important. Um, working with distillers on the floor. It was always, it, you know, taste your new make once a week, you know, side by side. 
because if you got five, six, seven in a row, you can see the differences. And it, eventually, you get to the point, um, and I'm probably still not there yet. You know, I did two and a half years on the floor there, but then moving to different distilleries and seeing different things, you don't focus so much on that one style of new maker. Mm-hmm. But you can sit there and go, you know what, that that tastes like it was a really hot day, and you look at the weather and it was 35 degrees. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Thing. That's, <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. And, you know, we like that's Proper. that's where that's where Chris Thompson's at, and we we would always have that discussion, me and him, and say, look, how, how do we fix that? What do we do? And then we would go back, maybe run a couple of pilots and, and see how, how that all came came to pass. And it was just really fascinating. Mm. Um, we were chatting on the phone about some other stuff. And, and again, when you pull it all back, he was turning around and saying, we were finding that during the summer when we had stuck ferments, which you know was a bad thing for yield, we actually got better new make and we were trying to work out why and it was because we were putting less stuff in the still and it was giving us more copper contact and taking more sulfur out and we were just like that's so counterintuitive but when you actually break it down it makes total sense you know and hold me <laughs> hold me, <laughs> hold me. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating and you can take whiskey to that level with with whiskey adventures we give the stories at the big ones and then we go around and you know we 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 get that kind of brew chat and everything else going on in smaller groups. When we do the educational stuff, though, that's where we go with it. That's what we're trying to do. So the educational stuff, I think, like for me, who's someone who, has, like I've been told by my wife that I'm not allowed to get involved in whiskey in any sense, no investment, <laughs> um, nothing. There's a couple of little caveats that are quite heavily documented. But anyway, um, for me, whiskey like is always going to be just a hobby. Um, yeah. because I really enjoy it and I find it super interesting but I know if I get sucked in she's right like I will get fucking sucked in mm-hmm. um, that's why those kind of educational sessions at Whiskey Adventures is going to run are so appealing to me because I know I can turn up and I'll give an example um, I went to um, a bar recently that I'd never been to a federal group bar um, Evolve Spirit Bar Yeah. Um, knew nothing about it we went out to dinner, we sort of saw it was across the road, we're like, oh, we'll go in there and check it out. Um, and I think the guy, is it Dan? Dan, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Dan. So Dan, who runs it, I think is, and I'm saying this like a complete noob, is down with whiskey, like... Oh, the, the guys in there are, they're good. They're yeah, really so they, good. they do know their shit. And cool. he's built a crazy selection. Yeah. yeah, so I was going through his list, and as someone who knows a little bit but not a lot, I went through his list, and he has... He has this whiskey list by region um, and distiller, and then underneath each whiskey he has like four words. And I was going through it and I was just like, they were like key palate or nose or whatever words. So I remember reading one, it was like apple crumble, spice, this, this, this. And I was reading through this list and going, I don't, I can't decipher this list beyond the names I recognize, but because of these little key words he's given me, I know what I'm going to like. And I picked a whiskey and I fucking loved it. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Now I want to go back to that bar. So one of the one of the brands I used to work with, a little known brand called Glenglasser, right? In terms of their brewing, everything's sour. It's real amazing. Long ferments, wooden fermenter. It's like just loads of lacto. Um, Bacillus just... Yeah, right. Real crazy. But um, some of the most intensely complex spirit that comes off these stills and it's one of my it's right by the sea as well one of my favorite spirits but no one knew it and and it was because it had been resurrected they either had really old whiskey from the 60s and 70s or they had whiskey that was sort of seven eight years old Mm. 
and we had three on the table and people couldn't pronounce it for a start. Um, I, I, can't, I can't pronounce most of them. Yeah, and they didn't know what they were getting. And you could sit there and you could go, you know, this one is all bourbon cast, this one's had a bit of time in red wine, and this one's had peat. But again, it doesn't really mean much. But the way that we, that I would stand behind is it's exactly that same philosophy that, that, that Dan's got. This one tastes like apple pie custard on the beach. This one <laughs> yeah. is like candy floss dipped in red wine. Yeah. Uh, and this one is like the best tequila in the world with smoke, right? And folk would just be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go for that one. Everything comes back to flavour. Everything comes back to flavour. It's so important and it's it's not done enough. And it's like it's like a way to interpret it for people too because this is those a, words are just like... This is a really interesting subject for me. Just Even just today, um, one of the girls in the cafe was asking me, Ian, why do all these roasteries publish ta- three tasting notes, just three, because I'm simplicity's key. Um, why, do, why do all these roasteries publish three tasting notes each and then this one posts nothing? And the Which only, one is that, Ian? Proud Mary. Um, the only the only conclusion I could draw on the spot was that m- the most logical being that they are a very large roastery and they want their accounts to draw their own opinion be able to communicate that to their customers themselves. Mm. So they it's very lazy. ambiguous and lazy, but they could just kind of go, here's a product, you fucking decide yourself. That way we're not liable for you tasting the wrong or right things. Yeah, I think on that, you know, you go to some some bars as well and, and they won't have a, um, a cocktail menu. And on, on one side, they're generally the bars where the bartenders can make anything for you. Mm. But on the other side, what they, you almost forget is that not everyone knows what cocktails exist. Yeah. So it's always good to have something written down as a starting point. Yeah. For your consumers to say, I like that, or you know, I can connect with that, or yeah. I'm going to ask someone more about this. But I think that's the thing, like about Evolve, like that's a federal group-owned hotel, um, sorry bar. Um, it's not something that in my mind I would be seeking out normally. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got nothing about against federal group. It was just like sort of one of those things. Um, but then I went there and I saw this list that Dan's curated and the way he's treated it, and I went. Oh, this actually helps me learn about whiskey. And like I left that place and I was like, cool, I know I want to buy a bottle of that because that was awesome. It's so important. I'm going to, um, I, I feel I have to, to put a little shout out as well. So when we did our educational stuff, right, it, it's something that people have to pay for because I don't get sponsored. Yeah, of course. So what it told us when we looked at it was the bars who sent stuff along and came along and it was amazing. So... Gold Bar were obviously there, but they were so excited about it, they hosted and basically yeah, just... Yeah, Ian, Ian does a lot Ian, for the Tassie Ian scene. and the guys were, were amazing. Not Ian um, on our show, the proper Ian. Yeah, yeah the proper, <laughs> real Ian. Ian He's Ian, not Ian. Ian. Yeah, Ian Reid at, at Gold Bar. So they were there. Evolve sent as many of the staff as they could. Salam, uh, Society Salamanca and the Lark staff. Yeah, Society and, do a great and job. And you look at that stable of bars and their whiskey lists and the fact that they're sending... Well... Send the people along, but also their bar staff probably would have come if they hadn't been told they can go. And you start to see where you're going to get the best whiskey customer service in the city. Well, those places you mentioned, that's where I drink whiskey. Yeah. And I wouldn't have counted Evolve in that until I went there and saw their list. Yeah. And now I do count them in that. Whereas before, I would have only gone to probably, in my mind, I would have gone to Lark, Gold, and Society. And that, Gold Bar and Society, that would be it. 
but yeah well I'm really off. now intrigued to go there just on those tasting notes because that would really help me like or in a more of a general consumer to go I think we oh, have a little podcast on the out yeah 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 we I think definitely so. definitely because you can sort of pick and choose what Federal you feel like you like. the show. Yeah, <laughs> that would be nice. Um, we should probably get into this last yeah, boil maker before we, should, we, we should. talk for another three hours. So. <laughs> so for this one, gone for something a little bit off the wall. Um, we wanted something smoky because peat smoke is... I do love peat. Uh, obviously, uh, it, it's a flavour oh. It's a flavour and aroma um, that... Uh, it's synonymous with a lot of Scotch whiskey distilleries. Um, so I get I get the piss taken out of me because I'm not into petty whiskies yet. I mean, the okay. other the way to look at it, less than ten percent of PF distilleries in Scotland use peat, and therefore, um, not you know, not everyone needs to like it. Yes, yeah. there's lots of other whiskies out there. Um, the peat smoke side of things is a, a flavour that I think people grow into. But I also think the reason a lot of people love it from the start is because it's just like the oak, it's really easy to identify. Yeah, yeah. Really easy. Cause you, you can crack that and someone upstairs is probably thinking someone's smoking inside. Yeah. I remember being at um, Fresh Hop Festival at Launceston, which is very soon, um, and uh, a local, a local home brewer, I think he might be a professional brewer now. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. He'll know if he's listening. Um, if he's announced that yet. Um, <laughs> order the, order just the, spoilers the, going around order the shot of uh, Lefroig and the entire place just suddenly like was like who's who's got that yeah and I, I remember just thinking like someone's drinking that like that's intense it's it's a, for me it's a beautiful aroma and flavour it's something that um, I think it, it, it is so distinctive it could well be something that's good to come back and talk about because peat smoke and malt and everything else um is is not really uh, it's it's something that again we treat differently in the in the the whiskey um, category than the beer. Like when when you guys are using peated malt or smoked malt, it's small amounts give you big. Yeah, well, I mean, I use a really high percent in our milk stout, which just sounds like a weird place to use it mm. to add like the most tiny charred smoky flavour. Right. And to me, that like that's a massive percent. Like I think it's eight percent of the <laughs> malt bill. Right. And I'm just like, fuck me, you're playing on the edges here, man. So when <laughs> so when uh, I got a call from a local distillery um, and they said we want to do our first peated one, I'm like, cool. What have you got? And they said, oh, we've got this forty parts per million. So peats measured in parts per million. Yeah. Zero or parts per million phenols. So zero to three is very, very, very lightly smoked, and you'll pick it up in new make, but not in the final product normally. Um, Highland Park's about 8, Beaumore's about 25, Laphroaig, Lagavul and Ardbeg 40 to 50 parts per million. Pete, oh, that's yeah. in, in the barley, right? So, so parts per million is the big dick swing of that's what they, whiskey. That's what they, it's they, the same they, as the IBUs, like... Yeah. yeah I, okay. but What's Octomore at then? So Octomore oh, here we go. on the, the shelf just... Himself. Yeah, Octomore <laughs> on the shelf just now is 160. But, <laughs> but, but you remember, remember our, our mural? Yeah, yeah, The smokes yeah. at the end? Well, Octomore's 160 in the barley, but they don't necessarily take all the bonfire through. Yeah. So you like, can you can well, make... It's so a, well balanced for me. They're just burning people's souls you in can, between. You can yeah. make a 160 parts per million peated barley mm. um, beer... And then get a completely non-smoked whiskey from it if you select yeah. the right shape of window, right? So that that's a bit bizarre, but you can then carry that. You can do other stuff with that smoking future batches if you want, right? So 
when we talk about 40 parts per million, that is the peat smoke measure in the barley. When we right. talk about the amount of barley in the mash that is 40 parts per million, it is 100%. Jesus Christ. So when so I got a got call from way. some guys and they're going, you know what, we're doing our first peated batch, and I'm like, cool, what have you got? 40 parts per million. And, uh, and we're going we're, we're gonna to use like 10% of our mash bill. What do you think we should do? And I was like, get more? <laughs> and they created this, it was a beautiful, delicate smoke in this new make. Mm. But it was like a bonfire was happening in Launceston. Whereas yeah, if you'd sure. used a hundred percent of that peated barley, because of the distillation process concentrating stuff, you end up with a spirit that is just punching the face with smoke. So what we've got for you guys though is something a wee bit different. It's from Mull, one of the other whiskey making islands in Scotland. It's called Le Cheque. So it's from the Tobermory Distillery. Yeah, see, this is the To me, part. that says Ladeig. Yeah. So it's Ladeig, if you're from Mull. So if you guys are drinking Ladeig right now, we are also drinking Ladeig. Ladeig, yeah. And it's heavily peated Tobermory, and you smell the smoke, but it's also, it's a real dirty mongrel of a spirit. It's big, big, big. Yeah, well. Yeah, look, I'm not into the smoky ones. But this selling us not into sours. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're gonna you're gonna in four years time everyone's gonna have a video of me saying this. Um, but this does smell pretty good. Mm. Yeah, and like I, this is one of my favourite types of whiskey. Like Lagavulin is one of my ultimate go tos. Octomore is thank you. Yeah. Octomore is another one of my ultimate go tos. This is just something I go to all the time. So, so this what is are we pairing it with here? Um, we're pairing it with the Bruni Island Oxymoron Dark Pale Ale. So nothing, we're not, I thought maybe going down to the stout level might have just, you know, hid a few. Started to distract. Yeah, I think too distracting for this kind of, you know, for a ball maker. A great view though. Not that I've ever done a ball maker until tonight. But, <laughs> but I mean, from the first um, little sip I had, like, it really gelled quite well and then that lovely smokiness just came through right at the end there and just bounced off this is a great was, beer by the way it was um, shout fantastic. out to Evan for this beer this yeah, is yeah. one of it I think this is almost becoming they're a couple of years old now this is becoming like a Tassie like a representation of Tassie this beer yeah. it's, it's pretty really important has everyone had a sip of this what do they think no, of yet. the um, combination I, I think um, if you go whiskey then beer what happens is the the, the, the whiskey starts the, the whiskey's really well balanced so it goes from the front of the palate to the back they've got a good good portion of that window oh, wow. in there and when you sip the beer on top of it it actually cancels out the left hand side yeah absolutely and you just get the intensity of the smoke yep that's exactly it actually tastes like considering how smoky it smells and I was expecting like I don't know for some reason I thought picking this up it's just going to be like burning and mm. horrible it's really delicate mm. Well, when you do the beer and the whiskey, the delicacy is what shines. So yeah. it's actually a, a boilermaker pair and that, that works really well both ways. Whereas ever, the other two, I would say, Quite actually yeah. worked better when you when you gave the, the beer first and the whiskey on top. Yeah. This gives two totally different drinks from the whiskey if you if you switch it about. Um, I'm it definitely a be, um, the whiskey first for this and mm. then the beer for me. Like I feel that's so, gelling a bit more for so me. So this is our third boilermaker. Mm. What are we thinking? Like, I'm thinking middle boiler maker for me, the Ben Reich. Are we ben, talking about that? How, how do I ben, say it properly? Ben, ben Reich. Ben Reich and Ocho. That was pretty rad. I think it highlighted some strawberry off the yeah off the Ocho. 
That's just like, I'm about that life. I'm about that sherry cask, I think. I'm learning that now. I took a photo of that sherry cask um, because that was you're, mine. You were getting I, hard. Like, I, I, I saw you physically getting... Sherry cask and peated yeah. whiskey for me. I'm, okay. I'm coming back to my younger self in scrap. That monkey shoulder... That monkey shoulder's monkey coming shoulder back to Yeah, I'm, I'm going to show... I think all three worked really well. I think, yeah. when I think they worked I really think well. we've had an incredible life tonight. Like, oh, yeah. we've, we've made educated guesses and... Oh, yeah, that three months of planning we did was totally worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like, Ali, your first Boilermaker session has been pretty uh, Great solid. success. It all goes downhill from here, mate. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it'd be interesting that, like, to have a bad one. Let's keep having pastry, sound, and whiskey. Yeah, well, well, we'll get some cucumber beer next time and we'll do bad, bad Boilermakers. You and makers. I will have the worst time. Well, yeah. When I was up in Brizzy, there were a lot of... Um, oh, we're brewing them... There's some pickle sours kicking around. A lot of pickle sours going around. Yeah. yeah. Um, Trinity Brewing, actually. Everyone's doing... Nick, Nick is in the big, gorgeous armchair shaking his head. It's intriguing. Nick, just wait your turn. Hey, I like not your episode. Nick. I like both of those things. Pickles and sours, just not yeah. together. That's bad. Yeah, I like where you I like mangoes and sours. I'm really keen for a big pickly burger. Yeah, it's an intriguing <laughs> concept, but if it would work in a beer, who knows? Um, mm. We'll have to get some. Mm. I hope I hope Stu in particular can try this combination we've we've had. Well, he can because you can go to somewhere like Destination. These are all very celebrations at the Abbey, your home of the best beer, wine, (laughs) and spirits, and you can pick up bottles like this for. Did you say under a hundred bucks? They're all under a hundred. So the first one was about ninety, the second was ninety-five, and the third was ninety-five dollars. So you get change up on. I feel like a mug for supporting Tim Duckett and giving him all that cash now um, <laughs> for Heartwoods no but honest honest to god yeah that middle whiskey for me I feel like a couple of sherry awesome. cars like might be leaving the venue that feels like something I would buy and drink every day and I've been sort of missing that part of my whiskey collection well it's funny you should say that because we're going to feature that exact whiskey at the next adventure on the 5th of May yeah I'm working on that yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's that's fifth of so, May. So wait, if if I want to go to a whiskey adventure yeah. and I know nothing about it, how do I get a ticket? How do I get involved? How do I start seeing the updates? Yeah. So I mean, easiest thing to do is get on Facebook and Instagram. That's where where we're most active. Um, it's just whiskey adventures Taz. So no e, no e. No I got e. called out for that the other day. Yeah, whiskey adventures Taz. W h i s k y. Yep, yep. Adventures we'll get tasks. to that on another episode uh, yeah we'll talk about that another day um, and all the updates and events and everything else go up there quite frequently uh, almost to the point of being spammed uh, generally you'll see updates of what I'm drinking where I'm drinking it um, you know what, what, what we think of it as well as all the events that we're doing um, the ones coming up this Wednesday most Wednesdays hopefully we're going to be doing Flight Club so Brooklady's the first one as I said um, but the Sherry Monster event called Having a Sherry Good Time. Mm, is the this fi- is what I'm keen on. So it's the 5th of May. It's actually How long s- does it take you to name these events? Oh, about, <laughs> about three seconds. <laughs> about three seconds and a couple of drums. But, um, <laughs> so that, that one is celebrating everything Spanish. Uh, optional. Optional fancy dress. Optional. Prizes, you get a ticket to the next one. So it's, there's, a, there's a... The fancy dress extensive. is fiercely contested. It is, but... So, do you want to explain that very quickly? Because we have run uh, a little over time. Okay. Do you want to explain? <laughs> this will be cut the, to two parts. Will it? The trophy. <laughs> it's going to be two parts. Like we're pretty sh- sure. Mm, of that. Maybe not. I don't like a big episode. We'll work yeah, okay. It's in depth. It's mature, did. right? It's matured in, in a cast for a while. This is a twelve-year. Um, so, so the, yeah, the, so, the owl. So, so the owl. 
So the ill <laughs> came about because what we found is after the face painting episode in Whiskey Adventures 5, we wanted to see, because um, a lot of people there liked to, you know, they like to express themselves, they like to get dressed up. So we did a fancy dress one and 30 people showed up. It was Ghost Stories at HBC and only five people showed dressed up showed up, dressed up, and that was fine. But when we did number six, which was smoking attire, um, Glenfiddich put a bottle of whiskey up for it, so we had a prize, and everyone showed up. Smoking attire, little Jimmy from HBC, our favorite, you know. Yeah, we love Jimmy. <laughs> favorite, uh, favorite brewer down there. Um, he came dressed as a cigarette. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and won himself. Well, tell me you have photos of And he won himself, there's a video. Uh, he won himself a bottle of Glenfiddich. So then after that, um, we decided to get an heirloom, and I found a, a, a ceramic owl called Susie. Mm, um, Susie, yeah. And Susie the owl was filled with 12-year-old white Mackay in 1984, the year before I was born. So that had whiskey in it from 1972. And um, we, gave, we gave it away at the next one, and the winner was Johnny Edwards. And me and him drank the contents of Susie L at Christmas, <laughs> and it was the worst tasting shit. <laughs> it was ceramic. It was rank. But Susie's always been our almost our um, our trophy, our, our our heirloom. So whoever wins gets Susie, and they bring Susie back in exchange for a hundred twenty dollar ticket to the next whiskey adventure. Perfect. Why wouldn't you? I can't address? wait to meet Susie. So um, my question is, who won the Irish one? Because I was very proud. I don't ever mention him because my younger brother is the favourite in the family. Yeah, to I can see why. To the point where my dad once shared an article on my younger brother who was in the New York Times and said Oh wow. He shared it on my Facebook wall and said I'm sorry son, this is why you can't be the favourite. Oh. And I explained to dad that Facebook is public and everyone can see that and he was like, oh shit. It's true though. <laughs> so, good. so my younger brother and his uh, beautiful partner Alinta went as Father Ted so, and... Oh, so Jack, yeah, Jack, came, Jack came as Father Ted and, the, mm. you know... The costume looked great. The costume is great, but I came as Father Ted too and I think I did it slightly better. <laughs> is that what your sign was? Okay, okay, um, okay. I was no, not a big Father Jack, Ted fan. I, the, the challenge I have is I can't win Susie the Owl. So mm. I, I generally... Because the whiskey is shit. But it was shit. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's um, yeah, it's one of those things that it would be rigged if, if I walked away. But there's been a few times that I probably deserved it. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but no, we. I, I always make an effort because I want to encourage uh, people to express themselves if they want to. But um, Jack showed up and looked great as Father Ted. And you could tell straight away what it was. But then Alinda came dressed as Mrs. Doyle and she had the the, the, the ceramic teacup and basically oh, she embraced it didn't she, she embraced it completely she went it. full uh, toddy from Destination who won the uh, Killer Queens one he halved that with oh sorry Kirsten. he halved yeah. it yeah with Kirsten but, yeah. which was fantastic yeah so people well, you guys can all check it out online because it is in Whiskey Adventures the old photos the videos are there the, the, uh, the photos are there from all the adventures we've done um, as I said, just to big up the next one, um, we're opening a $1,200 bottle of Glendronach, um, mm. which is a, a Sherry Monster, and a, a $600 bottle of 25-year-old Glengoyne, the two standout drams, the unicorn drams at the next one. I'm pretty sure I'm looking at these gentlemen. 5th of May, will Step Brewers attend? I think I might be there. Okay, again, quick, there's about 10 tickets left. But send me no, you'll let us in. Send me. <laughs> there are no favors done. This the is all equal. Is there's, a, there's a finite num- uh, amount of whiskey, but what to do is if you guys are interested, 
send me a message on Facebook. We'll sort you all out with the payment details and everything else. Because Eventbrite is uh, is set up for it. But if we can get enough people to not go through Eventbrite, we can save the fees and we're going to buy a very special surprise for everyone on the day. This is the thing about Whiskey Adventures. Like, it's, it's so much excitement on the day because a lot of the time you don't know the whiskeys that are being poured and like the one I went to and the, you know they're from the 1950s yeah, it's, ridiculous. Like it's ridiculous um, but often Craig's also bringing along something special like as a surprise or something that's maybe not ridiculously expensive but is poured blind and you taste it and you're like oh that's amazing and then he reveals what it is and tells you why it tastes good and it's, so it's good. very it's very cool yeah, yeah. it's it's i would it's encourage nice. all of our listeners it's, to try and get yeah, a ticket it's nice that there's more to like just a whiskey tasting now in tassie yeah. like i've gone to whiskey tastings before i'm just come out of it with no further knowledge like I've yeah. just gone and tasted it well, so it's, it's really it's, it's people who own bottle shops and they dabble in so much yeah that's right that's right yeah I mean on, on that side the brand stuff that comes in it, it's it's really good because these guys also have a, a, a an agenda they have to sell more bottles so yeah. you might not necessarily get the information you want Whiskey Adventures we have no brand ties we mm. do accept um, donations from brands you want to get involved to keep the ticket price down Yeah. but we also love collaboration so if there's food involved um, it will sometimes be from a local venue or a, a local place. So, um, sometimes we get uh, you know beers and, and, and ciders from local places as well. And we love giving uh, those producers the platform to stand up and talk about what they do as well. Because yeah, we're all there to enjoy whiskey, but we're not all there to sit and you know. It's only the four of us that are going to be there to sit and talk about yeast for two hours. Let's face yeah. it. Yeah. Well, um, when I, I hope our job trial has gone well, we're really excited for the Boilermaker edition of Whiskey Adventures. Uh, yeah, there will be one. Uh, oh my god, that's genius! But yeah. the, the coffee one as well is going to be. Uh, I'll uh, give it a rest, guys. Like this is we'll, not. We'll talk it. after. We'll talk after the episode. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to. I, I know that Craig that you often try and involve local businesses because at Spotty Dog we used to do barbecue and we tried to do something for a while and didn't quite work out. But Ian does own Chestnut Coffee Co, which has a mobile coffee cart. That's um, true, actually. Oh which does God. some real fucking great coffee. I don't, I don't know how we can do it. Anyway. We'll, we'll talk. We'll, we'll talk. talk. We'll yeah, talk. Yeah. We'll wrap it up here, but we'll definitely get you back by the sounds. Yeah. Okay, so Craig, one last time. How can our listeners get in touch with you and book into one of your events? Yeah, easy. Just um, go on Facebook, Instagram, and search Whiskey Adventures Taz, and all the information's there. Um, you can reach out to me directly through those. Awesome. Um, if they want to do email whiskeyadventures at gmail.com and we will eventually have a website up as well. So um, Yeah, I think I think like Whiskey Adventures is such a in the whiskey community um, in particular it's so well known. Um, but maybe not so much in the beer community. But let's be honest, like craft beer lovers, you're whiskey lovers that don't know it yet. Like yep. get involved. We'd love to see you there. Um, if you stay us guys there, the step brewers That'd be super cool too because I'm sure now that these guys have heard about it. They it's another rabbit hole I'm about to go back down. I'm trying to lay it's off the whiskey for a little bit. Let's, let's see what happens. Beautiful. Right. Cool. cool. And we'll catch you on the next episode, guys. Bye. Thank you.